So, your 2019 United States Air Force Air Demonstration Squadron, known to all the world as the So this was the actual opening of the Thunderbirds show on June 8th at the Fort Wayne Air Show, plus some editing of mine. Um, they played Thunderstruck with the announcement uh, as the four-ship diamond flew from behind over the audience. The voice you could hear was Major Jason Markson. He's the advanced pilot slash narrator for the Thunderbirds and... Uh, on the day before June 8, he was my pilot when I flew in the backseat of an F-16D. In this episode, you'll hear the story of this um, flight. Um, I'll start with the medical briefing with their doc. Then I'll chat about the equipment we needed to wear. The briefing with Jason before the flight, the flight itself. And then I have an interview with Jason about what the Thunderbirds do and how they do it. And then at the end, I have a bunch of personal reflections why and how this flight was such a big deal for me. The Thunderbirds fly the F-16. Um, as you probably know, it's the U.S. Air Force's uh, most numerous fighter. It's also, I think, the most used fighter worldwide, at least today. I think the Phantom had more aircraft flying around at one point, uh, maybe the MiG-21 as well. Um, it's a single seat, single engine, single vertical tail, beautiful airplane. And uh, we are not going to cover it in much more detail in this episode because you might remember that we had episode 251 um, where I chatted with Jan Stahl, who flies for the aggressors. By the way, the same wing as the Thunderbirds, different squadron, of course, also from Nellis. And we chatted about the aircraft and how to fly it for, for three hours. So if you're interested, go back to this episode. So on June 7, I showed up at around 6.15 at the Air National Guard base, the military portion of the Fort Wayne International Airport, home for the 122nd Fighter Wing. They fly the A-10. And um, after a security check and a search of my rental car at the gate, I was guided to their operations building. There I also met Rodney Bradmiller. Um, Rod is a policeman from Fort Wayne, and he also got to fly. He was scheduled to fly on the Thursday, but uh, the Thunderbirds came in late on Thursday because their C-17 they use for uh, transporting their equipment came in late to Nellis. So anyway, Rod's flight was rescheduled for Friday, and so we went through all the briefings together. And uh, we also went up together in two F-16Ds, which gave us the additional benefit of a little bit of formation flying, um, which was not planned, but pretty, pretty cool. Um, yeah, and then after a little introduction to the day by Major Ray Jeffrey, um, their public affairs officer, um, he basically walked us through the day. We started with the medical briefing. Before my flight was ever granted or before I was selected for flying with the Thunderbirds, I had to get a medical certificate, basically a flight medical evaluation. 
I had to myself confirm a couple of things. For example, I don't have claustrophobia and I don't have fear of flying, don't have a mood disorder, things like that. There's like maybe 10 or 12 of these check marks I had to fill in. Um, and then I actually had to go to the doctor and they would perform something very similar to a class 2 aviation medical. It's basically a general health um, certificate. It's nothing advanced, nothing uh, terribly special. But the doctor had to look at my sinuses, my ears, eardrums, pupils, heart, lungs, basically just that I'm generally healthy. And uh, they required my blood pressure and the heart rate and the respiration rate and my temperature, stuff like that. So I had to do that in advance, um, had my doctor fill in and sign a corresponding form, and I sent that to the Thunderbirds. Then when I got the official invitation email for the flight, um, they also emphasized that we should make sure um, that we arrive for the flight with a kind of half-full stomach and that we should hydrate enough on the days before the flight because both of these factors help with avoiding motion sickness. And then as part of the actual well day uh, on June 7, we spent about half an hour with their flight surgeon, Doc Ojeda, and uh, you'll hear some of that audio next. We have recorded it in a room with an air conditioning system, and so you'll hear quite a bit of background noise, but it's clearly audible. The other two voices, by the way, are Rod and his wife. The cause of motion sickness is basically when your senses are not on the same page, which is definitely going to happen today. Um, that doesn't mean you need to feel sick, um, but your senses are, are going to be all over the place, and that's normal. You just have to manage it the best way you can. Your inner ear is where your balance comes from. So uh, it's going to be processing information that it doesn't know how to process um, when your world is kind of spinning. So uh, what you have to do is you have to sit straight. You have to make sure that, uh, that your chair is the right way up. So uh, a good rule of thumb for that would be a fist uh, length away between the canopy and the, and the helmet. Oh, you and, mean uh, the distance to the canopy? Yeah, distance yeah, to okay. the canopy yeah, to the helmet. Right. So uh, when they're adjusting you in there, just check it yourself. You're going to feel you're a little tight on there, but that'll create a bubble effect and not a bathtub effect. Um, that'll help you not be, not feel like you're just being tumbled around. You know, you can see what's going on. It's a lot better. Um, it's always recommended to look outside of the jet, uh, look inside as least as possible. I mean, right in front of you is going to be the pilot. So um, if you look straight ahead of you, you probably won't see much. So you probably have to look out the 10 and 2 position, basically. Um, so you just, if, if you feel that you're... Uh, looking to the side and you feel kind of sick all of a sudden it's like just look to the 10 or the 2 position that's good enough for looking outside um, you are going to have a little vent here um, it's not super cool but uh, but it'll help you today it's pretty cool today so uh, um, good rule of thumb is it's better to be cold than to be hot um, if you feel cold that's fine um, that's a lot better for motion sickness than, than being hot is um, the only real space you're going to have to receive air would be here in the neck area because you're gonna have a mask, um, you're gonna have the helmet, you're gonna have your G, you have your G suit down here, you're gonna have your, you have this same, this same type of stuff get up with the, with the flight suit. So uh, the only place that's gonna be skin is gonna touch the air is gonna be here, and that's good enough because if you get air there, you're gonna feel cooler, even if the rest of your body's not feeling. 
is not getting it. Um, so yeah, keep cool is another <laughs> is another good uh, good way to, to put it. Um, and then the next uh, next thing you should uh, know about motion sickness is it's important to communicate to your pilot what's going on. Uh, communicate to him, hey, I feel this way, um, or I think I'm going to throw up or something, or whatever you're feeling. Maybe they're pretty cool about it. They're like, oh, okay, and then they'll stop doing whatever they're doing and fly straight and level. And I assume they announce what they will do before yes. they do it. So uh, we'll talk about else. that. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that when we when we talk right. about G forces. Okay. Yeah. Um, you will have a barf bag. Um, it's gonna be right about here when you get on. Yeah. Um, you can put it in the in your pocket. Right. You'll have a zip ziploc bag. Um, if you feel that you're gonna throw up, just uh, take your mask all the way off and just cover your the whole mouth and just do whatever you have to do in there. And sip it tight, put it back in your pocket. We want you guys to be as cool as possible today. So. How many people actually get sick that do this? I don't know if you want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, not everybody gets sick. <laughs> yeah, it's not uncommon, mm -hmm. but uh, usually nobody needs to stop uh, their sorting for it. If you feel sick, that's fine. You just let them know, and they'll ask you if you want to continue, and if you do. Than they do. Um, they usually don't land the the jet if it's too heavy on fuel anyway. So, <laughs> so you'll have to fly around for a little bit. Yeah. And you can't leave that baggie up there. You have to bring it out with just, you. Just bring it with you. Just put it in your pocket. It'll be fine. Just seal it well and put it in your pocket, and nobody will know. Mm. Except the eighth guys. <laughs> air, air flight equipment guys. They'll they'll know because they'll. But uh, but they're cool about it. They know. <laughs> Um, once you get down, if you need anything from me, I, I have I have my bag of meds, so uh, you'll, you'll feel fine. Uh, oh, another thing, if you do if you do get sick, you do have an oxygen switch, so you can switch on the hundred percent oxygen. Even if you take your mask off, since it's just laying here, um, you'll get oxygen and that you'll feel better. So uh, if you flip that switch, one hundred percent oxygen. You have your mask on; it's going to be positive pressure as if you're you were sleeping with CPAP on. Um, but uh, if it's, the mask is off, it's just exuding oxygen, so it'll help you out. It'll be 100% oxygen, so you'll feel a little dry in your mouth. Um, but if you're feeling a little sick, then uh, that extra oxygen can help out. So that's another thing you can do if you do feel sick. So I was fairly optimistic regarding me not getting motion sick because of my whatever 30-year flying history. I've never ever gotten sick on an airplane during strain level gliding motor planes, aerobatics, never. So I was fairly confident there, but I wasn't quite so confident about the heavy Gs. So uh, we'll talk about those next. Um, G-forces. Um, so you've probably experienced some G-forces before. I've right? done aerobatics with the glider up yeah. to 5 Gs, but not yeah. as sustained as the Yeah, so, uh, so these jets can sustain from negative 3 Gs to 9 Gs. Yeah. Um, it feels like you're, you have more or less weight depending on negative G to positive G. So yeah, um, the G-force is the effects that it has on your body. Is basically it takes your blood and moves it to the area of least resistance. So if you feel, if you have positive Gs, um, your blood will go from your head to your big toe, basically. So, so what we want to do is you want to help keep the lights on and uh, keep that blood above your abdomen. So uh, how do we do that? We uh, we have first of all, you know, the regular G resistance for a regular person is usually around four, four and a half. Um, of sustained G-force. Um, it, it all depends on certain factors, you know, your height, um, got body composition, uh, blood pressure, like baseline blood pressure. If you have baseline high blood pressure, it's actually better for G-forces. Not as good for general living a long life, but uh, for, for G-forces it is. 
because your, your heart is going to want to squeeze more to actually keep the blood going into your brain and not going down into your into your legs, which is an area of least resistance. So that's that's why you use a G suit, which you guys are going to be fitted for. Really tight suit, as it goes from right below your rib cage all the way into your up to, up to your ankles. It's connected to that to the aircraft, and it inflates and deflates depending on the G forces that, that you're pulling. The more G forces you pull, the tighter it squeezes. Um, and it's fine because your muscles can sustain it. Um, but what you're going to feel is that it just squeezes everything. It squeezes your abdomen. So that, um, people tend to think that that is enough. That usually adds about one and a half Gs only. But it definitely helps you squeeze against it and increase your G tolerance with the anti-G strain maneuver, which we're going to talk about. Now, um, what other effects does your um, does uh, G forces have on your body? Uh, the area of most uh, pressure in your body are your eyes. So uh, it's usually harder for your heart to get blood into your eyes than anything else. So the first place where you're going to find that you're having loss of blood um, or, uh, or your blood is just leaving your brain would be in your eyes. Um, and it's not the end of the world, it's, it's fine. That, that way you know that you need to strain a little harder um, if you're under sustained G-forces. So what you're going to see is you're going to, you're going to see like you're having kind of tunnel vision. So that's going to progressively start coming in if you if you're not straining under a high G um, maneuver. Um, it's important to notice that doesn't mean you're going to pass out. That's a normal response of your body um, when you're not having enough blood. So you're gonna I mean you guys can test it out too. I mean, you're going to see tunnel vision if you're doing a high G maneuver. All you have to do is squeeze your legs a little bit, and you'll see that all that vision come back. So it's like magic. Now the anti G strain maneuver. Um, when you're doing a high G maneuver, you're going to have to strain your lower body. So uh, basically tighten everything up. Tighten your calves, your hamstrings, you know, your, uh, your thighs, abdomen, and your butt, everything. Um, and it's going to be easier to do it when you have the G-suit squeezing. Because uh, that thing is going to squeeze into your legs and you just have to, you just have to squeeze against it. So it's going to be easier to do it. Um, when I say squeeze your abdomen, what you're doing is you're, you're belling it out. So you're not, you're not actually like crunching it in, you're actually puffing it out. Because the G-suit is going to puff into you. Um, so what we're going to do is basically squeeze everything in your lower body. Um, and uh, the actual effect that I wanted you guys to strain is as if you were pulling your, uh, the tips of your toes into your knees. And then you squeeze your legs in because the G-suit is going to want to squeeze your legs out. So you squeeze them in. Um, that's the most important part actually, squeezing your legs in, it's easy to forget. And then squeeze your butt and your abdomen out. So you squeeze just like that, you try to keep your upper body relaxed, that's the hard part actually. Squeezing is not a hard, um, keeping your upper body relaxed is, because you, you tend to just squeeze everything, you know? Usually what they say is, uh, okay we're going to do this, this maneuver, he's going to tell you the name of the maneuver. Um, and then usually, before you start the maneuver, he'll say, here come the G's. And then when, when, when you say, when, when he finishes saying G's, that's when you start the maneuver. So that's important to know, because uh, you want to prepare for the maneuver and know when it's going to happen so that you start straining beforehand. So you want to be on top of the maneuver and not, not behind it. So three parts of the anti-G strain maneuver, you know, downstairs straining or squeezing of your lower... Um, lower body, with only that, you'll be able to survive and keep the lights on um, with most of the maneuvers that you're going to do. Um, if you do a high 9G maneuver, um, you're probably going to have to do the breathing too. So the other part is breathing. Um, 
calling it breathing is a little counterintuitive because you, you can definitely hold your breath for a minute. You know, everybody can. Um, when you're under a high G environment, um, your chest wall is going to feel nine times as heavy, so it's not going to be easy to take a breath um, if you're in a high G maneuver. Um, those high G maneuvers don't last a minute. You know, they last seconds. Um, and then the Gs just bleed off. They usually don't hold 9Gs for you guys or anything like that. So um, you may be a 7G, a 5G, and it'll be up and down. So this is going to feel like a workout for you guys. So, yeah. And that's that's the best way to describe it. When you get out of the jet, you're going to feel like you just worked out. Yeah. Uh, so breathing. Um, calling it breathing is a little bit counterintuitive because you're not going to be able, really be able to take deep breaths. But you won't need to. Um, your body's going to feel like it wants to. Um, but what you're going to do is you're going to exchange air. That's basically what you do. So uh, if, when they say, here come the G's, so you take a prep breath. You, you inhale. Yeah, so if he says, <coughs> it's not going to be a huge breath. It's going to be a, be a mild, get your lungs filled like you normally would. It's not going to be <gasps> none of that because your, your chest is going to be so full that basically when you're under the G's, it's probably going to blow all that air out. So you want to have moderate amount of air in your lungs, but not an excessive amount. You relax your upper body. You take a prep breath and you hold it in. And then when I say exchange air, basically what you're going to do is a K sound and you're going to let a little air out, which is going to be easy because once you break the seal, all that weight is going to push a little breath out. So you're going to do this. It's a K sound. So, uh, and then um, a breathe again. And then, and then a little breath, the yeah. same amount of little, uh, that, that little, that little air that you just released, you're going to push it in. So you tighten everything down and you go, Every three seconds, your body's gonna wanna is gonna wanna breathe. It's gonna wanna do that. So that's not what you wanna do. Um, you wanna hold it. You're gonna feel like you need like you need air, but you don't because you can actually hold your air for for, for at least a minute. So um, um, you're actually gonna hear your body doing the same thing whenever you're under doing a, a high G, and you can pace yourself. Um, it's completely normal for you to wanna do. <laughs> You're, you know, you're trying to you get tight up top, and that's kind of, you know, that's that's not helping you at all. You want to stay relaxed. You want to melt into the chair, basically. You want to get your head, your head back into the chair, and actually just melt into it. You know, and squeeze down low, and just look at everything that's going on until you finish, and then you can do whatever you want in there. Um, you don't have to assume this position the whole time. Um, and uh, so yeah, that's that's basically what you need to do. This grunting thing is no longer recommended, right? Or uh, we don't do it anymore. I mean, there must be some pilots out there that do it, but yeah, we don't. Okay. Uh, we don't teach it anymore. Okay. So then we exercised, we practiced a little bit how the G strain and breathing techniques work. Um, obviously, once you do this kind of flying for a living, um, this works subconsciously, but for us, uh, I guess I at least I had to work on it and I also fell behind at some point a little bit. Um, it looked quite funny when we sat there uh, straining around and breathing strangely, but at least some practice really did help. What happens if the lights go off? Um, so yeah, so the, when the, if the lights go off, that would be called a G-lock. Yeah. So it'd be a G-induced loss of consciousness. Um, if it happens, um, you probably won't know that it happened, but your pilot will probably know that you, that you G-locked. And you'll come back. So yeah, you'll definitely come back. So what happens <laughs> is you lose you lose blood from your brain from the front to the back. So you lose blood into you from from your eyes. So you probably um, have tunnel vision until you see you don't see anything anymore. 
but you probably won't know what's going on by then. So then you lose blood into your prefrontal, prefrontal cortex. So you probably uh, will feel really relaxed, um, actually. And then uh, after that, you feel, and that, that's your ju judgment site, so you won't know where you're, where you're at or what's going on or, or if you're happy or sad or whatever, you won't know anything. And then after that is your motor uh, cortex, so you lose blood to that, so you relax your whole body involuntarily as if you were going into REM sleep. Um, so you have atonia, so you, you lose um, um, motor control of your body. But you actually, you're not awake for that. Right after that, you're like, your, your, your brain kind of just like goes into sleep mode until you actually get your blood back. So you get blood back and you get rush of all that blood back into your, in your motor cortex, your prefrontal cortex, your eyes, everything turns back on. But it takes you a little bit to actually know what happened. Mm -hmm. So you, you'll, you'll know that I think I passed out, but you won't for sure know that you actually passed out. You watch the YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the hormonal effect that it has in your body is you actually feel super relaxed after it, you know, uh -huh. as if you took a really nice nap. Uh -huh. when, when the blood actually comes back into your motor cortex, you can have a little, the funky chicken they call it, so your, your body kind of goes all over the place, um, and you're kind of lost after you actually get that back into your, uh, uh, back blood into your prefrontal cortex, um, and, your, and your, your eyesight is going to go like, and you see everything again. Um, so yeah, that's basically what happens. It doesn't have any lasting effect, so it's not an effect as if you had a concussion. Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to do this all the time, um, just because your G tolerance after having a G lock is not as good. Oh, yeah. uh, just because your whole body is relaxed, um, your muscles won't want to, uh, you know, uh, constrict as as tight as they would. So you, you're you know, you're not in an environment to actually do high G maneuvers. Like I said, your pilots are going to know that you're new at this, so they're going to actually test your G-strain. They're going to tell you, hey, yeah, I think you need to breathe a little um, a little slower or, uh, or exchange breaths a little slower, squeeze a little more, um, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, they won't go right out and do a, and do a savage thing, you know, or all of a sudden or, or not tell you what they're going to do. They don't, they don't do that. Yeah. We're, not, we're not the blue angels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, and the G suit actually helps, but like I said, you can't just rely on the G suit because it only adds about 1.5 to 2 Gs. Um, another thing you're gonna feel, you're not gonna have, you're not having a heart attack, but you're gonna have um, tachycardia. So you're gonna, you're gonna, your heart is gonna accelerate a little bit, and that's normal. It's a normal effect because uh, when you're under a high G maneuver, apart from being you know, excited, uh, what's going on? Um, your blood is gonna, your heart is gonna feel it doesn't have enough blood, so it's gonna start pumping quicker. Um, so that's normal. Um, you're not gonna be having a heart attack or anything. But if, um, that said, if you do have chest pain, let your let your body know. <laughs> so he calls me in there. Um, your ejection switch. The reason also that we you have your hands here is because the ejection switch is right here. And with here, he means that we should put our hands basically on our thighs. Um, flat so that the g-forces don't pull them down and um, it's live it's live too so uh if you actually pull that thing both of you guys will go um so it's also live it's not you know i want to respect it but not actually fear it you know if, if you, when you're climbing in you kind of knock into it you know you're like oh okay i should have knocked into that but it won't deploy um because it actually takes like a 50 pound force of pulling it all the way to your chest to actually deploy that thing so um so it's not a 
It's not a simple thing to actually eject you. Yeah. But just know that it's there. If you're actually doing a hygiene maneuver and you're trying to hold on to something, and you take that handle, and you, and, you, and you just grab that thing, then you know that you shouldn't do that. Yeah. So that's where your hand should be here. Um, but there will also be um, uh, like a little towel rack thing up here. You guys will, will see right. it in the canopy area, more or less, where you can actually hold on to that. Some people hold on to that for their maneuvers. Um, I actually do it too when I'm in the backseat sometimes. Um, but it's um, it's not as easy to keep hold on that, you know. Um, and if you let hold let let hold of that, your hands will slam down and, and you can hurt yourself. So I really just recommend putting your hands here. Um, the seat is pretty tight and there's not a lot of space in there, so there's not a lot of space for you to like uh, bang around or anything like that. You're gonna be strapped pretty well to the jet, so um, you won't be flailing around. Um, that's about it. Um, do you guys have any questions about that? So there were no more questions, and Doc signed the paperwork that allowed us to actually fly on the F-16. All right, let's talk a bit about the aircrew flight equipment, or AFE, basically what we wore during the flight. The email I got said the following. Wear or bring a cotton t-shirt, cotton underwear, and a pair of cotton athletic socks. We will provide you with a flight suit, harness, helmet, G-suit, and all other gear necessary to make your flight as comfortable as possible. All you will wear under your flight suit is your socks, t-shirt, and underwear. So, that's the basis. Let's, let's talk through it a bit. Um, they also asked for various sizes in advance, and when I showed up in the room with the AFE specialists, all the clothing was already prepared in the right sizes. So they basically handed us a full body flight suit made out of Nomex, that is a fire retardant or doesn't burn very well. Um, it's actually a quite light uh, suit as well as nice comfy boots. Actually, they were really nice. <laughs> um, they gave those to us and said, go away to the restroom and, uh, you know, get rid of your clothes, except the aforementioned three, and put on this flight suit. Did that, and when I came back, they um, patched us up, meaning they attached patches to the flight suit. This was a little bit of a ceremony. Um, they started with a patch of the Air Combat Command. As you might know, the Air Force has uh, different commands, Air Training Command, Mobility Command, Air Combat Command. And since we're talking about fighter aircraft, they're part of the Air Combat Command. Then they gave us a patch of the 57th wing. That is the wing at Nellis, which also hosts the weapons school and the aggressor squadrons we visited before. And of course, the Thunderbirds. We then got a patch of the Thunderbirds themselves. And we got a name tag that said Thunderbirds VIP. So then it became interesting. We... Um, were fitted with the G-suit. As you know, a G-suit is basically a big pair of pants with hoses in it that can inflate in order to help strain and pressurize your lower body to help fight Gs. Um, it's a rather heavy-feeling uh, piece of kit. It starts um, below your ribcage and then goes down into your ankles. You step into it almost like a pair of pants, but the sides are open basically and then once you you've stepped in you latch it closed and you have also you've got a zipper uh, basically the idea is to close it completely with a zipper but if that zipper breaks the latches keep it shut um, once i got into the g-suit um, 
it took about 10-15 minutes for the AFE specialist to adjust it. Um, there were many little strands or threads built into the basically pair of pants. Um, and by pulling on them, you could make sure that the G-suit fit really tight with your body. Remember that the point is to inflate it with pressurized air. And so for this to make any sense, it needs to fit tight initially. So, and, and once it's adjusted, um, you know, it's kind of persistent and you can just strap it on um, Pilots have their own personal G-suit and it's adjusted once. Um, of course, for us, because it was our first flight, um, well, it was custom adjusted. Once we were fitted with a G-suit, uh, we went on to the harness. The harness is basically like a parachute, um, you know, with these um, straps across your breast and uh, around your butt slash crotch. Um, and, but there's no parachute, right? It's It's only the... The harness itself, which you then, once you get into the aircraft, you attach it to the riser lines of the parachute. Um, those riser lines, you have to be able to release those in case you eject and the wind pulls you over the ground. And so they taught us how to uh, use these latching mechanisms to release the riser lines. They also explained how to connect and disconnect the seat survival pack. There is basically hooks attached to the harness which connect to the survival pack in the seat. Um, when the seat ejects you, at some point the, sh the seat falls off, uh, the parachute opens and this survival pack dangles below you. And so we were told how to, when we get into the aircraft, how to attach this pack. And, of course, there was also a way to attach the pressure reducer for the oxygen supply. It connected to the aircraft on the one-hand side and to the mask on the other-hand side. Once um, we had the harness adjusted, the lengths of the various straps um, and the G-suit, we took them off again, put them away. We would see them again when we entered the aircraft. Next was the helmet. It felt surprisingly light. Um, of course, that's necessary because you want to be able to move around easily and not strain your neck too much. It's, it's heavy enough under the Gs then. Um, and you want to make sure that you get your ears into the helmet nicely because you know, if, you're, you're, if your ears flapped and the helmet presses on them, not good. There's a chin strap, you, you close. And then the helmet has ear protection, of course. It also has speakers for you know listening to the radio and the intercom. But when you fly, you, you get additional earplugs into your ears as well. We were taught how to lower and raise the visor. The visor is tinted, so it acts as sunglasses basically during the flight, but it's also, uh, it protects your face if you have to eject. The visor seemed to be relatively easy to destroy with the screw. You screw or unscrew in order to move it, and they told us that flights have been canceled because people, once in the aircraft, destroyed the visor with the screw. You know, it... it, it <laughs> explode into lots of small pieces and then the flight had to be cancelled because of FOD in the cockpit. Not good. Next, uh, we were shown the mask. The mask is necessary both for oxygen supply but also contains a microphone. It's attached to the helmet on one side and it's, well, it's also attached to the helmet on the other side but the right side can be opened. So you can either have the mask attached or you can release it and then it dangles on, on the left side. You've probably all seen this in Top Gun. <laughs> um, the mask fits very tightly. It should be airtight, right? Because, um, well, first of all, it's where the oxygen is supplied with but maybe more importantly, if you have a fume event in the cockpit, 
you know, smoke or whatever, um, you want to make sure that you can attach the mask and receive positive pressure oxygen and not have other gases sneak in. Um, it hurt a little bit actually on the nose after an hour of flight. So if I did that for a living, we'd have to optimize this a little bit. <laughs> There's actually a machine which they use to pressure your mask and see if it's airtight. Mine wasn't initially. I had to grab another, I don't know actually if it's smaller or bigger, a different mask in any case. Then as the final step during um, suit up, we got a PowerPoint presentation about the ejection sequence, you know, how to sit on the seat, basically similar to this G-strain with your head against the headrest and with your elbows tucked in. Uh, and then there would be a command by the pilot, you know, bailout, bailout, bailout. And uh, there will be some time to prepare, right? We're not going to be shot down. So probably the, the reason why... Uh, we might have to eject as an engine failure, right? And so on, then we can at least glide a little bit and have some time to prepare. Um, we were shown how to control the chute, how to control the chute if it has a hole, how to control the chute if the risers are twisted, how to land, how to land in trees, lots of other stuff. It, everybody basically considered this a formality because nobody really expected an ejection. Um, but still, it was... Uh, good to to understand at least in some principle how it would work and it's also dealing with a parachute is not too different from dealing with the rescue parachutes we're using gliders uh, of course i never jump with any of those either so once that was done we were basically finished and we were able to walk around <laughs> for the next hour or so in the patched flight suit which of course was pretty cool yeah, and uh, after that, we went back to the heritage room, kind of our base camp, and uh, we were met by our pilots, uh, Thunderbird 8 for myself and Thunderbird 7 for Rod. And uh, we went into separate rooms to run through our flight briefings. And so here is the audio from the briefing with Thunderbird 8, Major Jason Markson, callsign Flack. Marcus, welcome. Well. Uh, this very is, glad to be here. Yes, this is very exciting because this is the this is the time that I actually get to fly. I don't fly in the demonstration. Mm -hmm. I do the narration yep. for the demonstration. So I get to fly. And then today is even uh, extra special for you guys, um, for both you and uh, Rodney, because we get to fly together in a two-ship yes. formation, which is probably more exciting because you get to see another airplane up close yeah, and personal. It's pretty cool. We'll be flying, you know, three feet to 18 inches close together so it's going to be awesome cool. uh, then we'll eventually split up for our separate maneuvers yep. and uh, we'll kind of go from there so mm -hmm. um, we can talk about the maneuvers real mm -hmm. quick yeah we'll just start off doing that uh, and then we'll get into some of the egress procedures right. uh, that we're going to do but anyways when we get in the jet uh, so when we walk out there my crew chief will help uh, get you strapped in all right uh, you've seen a lot of the different equipment that you yeah, have to yeah. put on it's kind of cumbersome but uh, my crew chief will help you strap in. AFE will be out there to help you up yeah. as well. Okay. Uh, and then I'll come up there and just make sure all the connections mm -hmm. are good. Yeah. Uh, once we get going, you'll so you'll put the helmet on. You'll put the mask up. And the mask, before the jet turns on, it can be um, a little difficult to, to breathe mm -hmm. uh, in with the system that we use. So you can keep the mask down. Yeah. Uh, until we start the jet, right. and then mm -hmm. you can put the mask back up. But we'll practice it a couple times yep. when, when I'm up there, just to make sure you got it. Yep. Uh, and then we'll go from there. So I'll start the jet. Uh, I'll put the canopy down, so keep all your arms and legs inside the ride at right. yeah. all times. Yeah. And then uh, we'll go from there. We'll do ground ops. Uh, I'll have you check your uh, oxygen to 100% for one of our checks that we do, and then uh, we'll taxi out. We'll 
mm -hmm. get to the runway. Uh, like I said, we'll have a two ship this time, so we'll line up next to seven mm -hmm. on the runway. His jet will be right here, uh, my jet will be here, and then uh, he'll zoom and take off. So mm -hmm. he's gonna do an unrestricted climb, then it's gonna be our team to do the unrestricted climb. Mm -hmm. So we'll light the afterburner, Accelerate mm -hmm. down the runway, you'll feel a little kick in the seat. Mm -hmm. It's going to be very About exciting. Two Gs, right? <coughs> Roughly, I think I calculated at some point. Uh, when when they the like acceleration the acceleration, the, is it? The, yeah, I think so. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have never actually uh, <laughs> checked that out. Um, but we'll accelerate down the runway, lift the jet off the ground, get the gear up, and then we'll, I'll accelerate to about 400 knots or so, mm -hmm. uh, and then I'm just going to pull the nose straight up. Mm -hmm. We're going to climb up to 10,000 feet. Mm -hmm roll out yes. and then cruise on out to the airspace. Mm -hmm. So we'll rejoin with number seven. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll fly a little close formation there mm -hmm. for you and then we'll get into the airspace. Mm -hmm. um, so what you can expect in that initial climb is probably about four to five G's in this pull up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and then a little bit it, less G, probably only like two to three yeah. G's as we level right, off because here. Because the earth works the other yes, way. Yes, because yeah. we're going against gravity at that point. Uh, and low, lower on airspeed. Um, mm -hmm. Cool. And then cruising on out to the airspace. So we'll cruise out to the airspace. Uh, that's a good time to take pictures if you want to pull your cell phone out. Then we'll just make sure we uh, put that away before we start doing any oh, yeah, maneuvering. Yeah, yeah so right. I don't want that thing flying. Yes. And mainly don't want to break your cell phone, but I also don't want to yeah. find it. Yeah, so. <laughs> More expensive. Yeah. Cool. Then when we get into the airspace, we'll do a G exercise. So mm -hmm. what we'll have is we'll... Uh, get into a spread formation so he'll be about uh, 4,000 feet to a mile away mm -hmm. and then he's gonna say in place 90 left mm -hmm. and then I'm gonna say here come the G's mm -hmm. okay so when I say here come the G's that's after I say G's that's when I'm gonna start applying G to the jet so the word so G is the clue that yes right. that is the execution mm -hmm. so that uh, time before that as I'm saying here come the that's when you can start taking that prep breath getting ready mm -hmm. for your AGSM starting to squeeze your calves your quads mm -hmm. your uh, butt and your abs mm -hmm. um, then as we execute this G awareness or G warm-up I'm gonna pull four to five G's in a 90 degree turn roll out ask you how you doing and then uh, seven will say stand by for G exercise in place 90 right mm -hmm. Same thing, here come the G's, but this time it's gonna be a six to seven G pull, all right? Mm -hmm. So a little bit higher G, a little bit more sustained, uh, it'll be, you're gonna, you're gonna be fine. We'll see. Yes. <laughs> uh, cool, then we'll probably split up and he'll go to one side, uh, I'll go to the other side, uh, and we'll do, I'll kind of go to trail on him. We're just gonna do some low altitude, uh, kind of rooting around. Mm -hmm. So about so a we have thousand feet. From thousand to yeah, okay, cool. thousand all the way up to one eight zero, and then so we'll root, we'll uh, do some you know low altitude navigation. Uh, it'll be fun and exciting, and then we'll eventually pop up and get into the profile. So mm -hmm. when we start the profile, uh, we're going to start with the knife edge pass. So all these maneuvers that we do are the same maneuvers that our solo pilots do. All right, cool. Except mm -hmm. they're at like two hundred fifty feet above the ground. We'll they be, are. Yeah, right. they are. We'll be at least <laughs> five thousand feet okay. above the ground. Yeah. So no worries there, but uh, yeah. we'll have smoke on and we're gonna okay. do the knife edge pass. So with the knife edge, I'm gonna roll into 90 degrees of bank, hold it there, put a little rudder in, mm -hmm. and we're gonna display the bottom uh, of the jet. And, uh, and I like to think of like, hey, we're cruising through like some really tight buildings or something like that. Yeah. It's kind of right. kind of fun. <laughs> uh, we'll roll out of that <clears throat> and then I'll set us back up for the four point. So for the, or sorry, for the eight point roll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. for the eight point roll, pitch the nose up, and then we're just gonna go mm -hmm. eight precise points mm -hmm. around the circle. Mm -hmm. 
as we go all the way through mm -hmm. this. So I think that was nine, but we'll make sure it's eight in the jet. <laughs> I won't count. No, you, you, you can count with me in the jet. All right. right. We can count in German, so okay. uh, you count in German, I'll count in English. Okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll make, make it through. <laughs> all right. Um, cool. Then we'll do the four-point uh, roll after mm -hmm. that. So for the four-point, uh, so for the eight-point roll, it's just, it, we're just moving the stick, you know, eight distinct times. Yep. But for the four-point, we'll roll 90 degrees of bank. We'll kind of hold it there. So this will be a little bit of rudder in yeah. there. So we'll kind of be hanging in the straps. Yeah. So that's one of the few situations where you actually use the rudder, right? Because yeah. usually it's auto-coordinator, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So then we'll be inverted for a second. So you'll feel a little mm -hmm. push. Uh, it's that, that can be a little uncomfortable. So when we roll out, just let me know if you're like, hey, I don't ever want to go inverted yeah. again. I've done it before in a glider. So oh, okay. I'm Perfect. Probably going to be fine with that part. Nice. Uh, then we'll go, yep, this way. So now we'll be hanging this way, and then we'll yeah. be upright again. Yeah. Uh, and that'll be the four point. Um, so that's fun. Mm -hmm. uh, the next one we'll do is inverted. Mm -hmm. So we'll do the inverted to inverted, uh, if you're cool with it. So we'll roll inverted. We'll hang out there for a second, mm -hmm. and then we'll do a 360-degree right. roll back to inverted. Yeah. And then uh, we'll roll out. Mm -hmm. And everything will be glorious. Uh, it's a nice, nice view of the earth yeah. from that perspective. Yeah. So, uh, so you've flown before then in a... I have uh, 3,000 hours in a glider. In a glider? Yes, and I do have the aerobatic... aerobatic glider? No, I mean, this is normal glider flying. So oh, okay. country flying, but I do have the aerobatic license. Um, so I've done loops, turn rolls, chandelles, cubanade, stuff like that. Oh, okay, so you're full um, up. Nice. Of course, with slightly slower Gs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably a little up bit. to five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, we'll eventually get to nine. Um, that's awesome. Okay, that's really cool. So, yeah, so whenever you do stuff in the airplane, also during uh -huh. checks and stuff, I'd appreciate if you just could a bit narrate a bit because I'm also interested Absolutely. in that aspect. I am you know? the narrator. I mean, yeah, I could. I forgot. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll I'll try to talk about what yeah. what we're doing the cool. whole time. Yeah. Um, and if I'm not, just be like, hey, Say what's something. what's going on? Yeah. What are we doing? Right. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to talk about yeah. it. Cool. Uh, no, that's awesome. Um, Cool. So that's kind of the, I like to call that the warm-up to our profile. <laughs> right. So now we're going to get into the real fun stuff, Now it really right? starts. Yeah, now it starts. So that's just, you know, that's what we do for the, the people who haven't flown before and we're mm -hmm. like, hey, how was that? Was that good? Okay, now now we're getting into it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the next thing we're going to do is uh, the 9G turn. Right. All right? So we'll roll right into that. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you beforehand. I'll be like, all right. Mark, you ready for will this? Will you survive? Yes, will you survive? How, how's it going to be in about 10 seconds after <laughs> right. we're done with this? Yeah. So, uh, same thing. I will roll into, I'll, first I'll accelerate to a, about 450 knots or so, 450 mm -hmm. knots. I'll go max afterburner, and um, I'm going to say, here come the Gs. You definitely want to make sure you're ready to go for that, right? So, if you're not ready, please say something, yeah. okay? Right. And I'll slow it back down and right. make sure that we're ready. Yeah. Uh, or if you don't get on top of the G right. uh, beforehand. Yeah. But I'll say, here come the Gs, start pulling. I'm going to be executing the same G strain, right. right? So, we'll pull, we'll get to, uh, I'm going to pull smoothly to about seven, seven and a half, and just kind of listen to make sure everything is going well I'm in the back breathing. seat. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. And then uh, I'm going to continue, assuming everything's still good, where I'm going to keep going to nine. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll pull to nine Gs. Uh, I'll roll out, start to slow down, and I'll be like, Marcus, we just pulled nine Gs. How mm -hmm. you feeling? Mm -hmm. Right? 
and you can be like, I need to catch my breath. That's yes. what usually happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and so we'll just kind of cruise around a little bit, uh, chase some of the airspace uh, at yeah. that point. And then when you're ready to go for the next maneuver, we wow. got two two left before we complete the whole profile. Uh, you just let me know. So the next one that we're going to do is the aileron rolls. So what we're going to try and do is four consecutive aileron rolls back to back. Oh, they're different. Okay, that's okay without stops. That's what yep. you. Yeah. So this one yeah. is without yeah. uh, stopping. Yeah. So this is just consecutive inline rolls. Put the stick in the corner and wait. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. So this uh, this can be a little uh, get people a little dizzy. Uh -huh. yeah. So when we when we stop, we roll out. Right. I'll make sure we're not dizzy anymore. Pitch the nose up, and I'll unroll us because <laughs> okay. it's you yeah. know you got to unroll the torque. Of course. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, just let me know how you're doing after that, mm -hmm. and then uh, we'll continue. So the last maneuver, uh, probably my favorite maneuver, is the vertical rolls. So we'll start mm -hmm. low at about uh, four to 500 knots, and mm -hmm. I'm going to pitch the nose straight up. Mm -hmm. So you can expect about six to seven Gs in that pull. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay? And then I'm going to pause, let the jet kind of stabilize mm -hmm. in the vertical, and then we're just going to do those aileron rolls, but in vertical mm -hmm. this time. This one's a little bit easier because you're not like seeing the earth spin, you're just blue sky. Yeah, and right? G's should be stable because you don't plus one, minus one, plus one, minus one. Correct, yeah. There's no, and in fact, when we do the aileron rolls, there's actually no negative G there. It's all because just it's so fast. one G. Yeah. Yeah, are and you you're going not, to do a barrel thingy? No, uh, it's, it's an actual aileron roll. Yeah, it's a, an actual aileron roll around the fuselage. Right, so okay. no, uh, if I was to do a barrel, that's where you would experience like one to two Gs. Yeah. But yeah, just doing an aileron roll, um, it's just going to be basically between half a G and a G. Right, okay. The entire time. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that is, that's pretty much the whole profile. So mm -hmm. When we're done with that, I'll uh, just ask you how you're doing, mm -hmm. if there's anything else you want to see, if you want to repeat maneuvers, you want to pull 9Gs again. Uh, <laughs> but uh, at that point, I'll probably let you fly if you want. Of no course. pressure. Yeah, no pressure. But If uh, I'm still alive at that point, <laughs> I would really like to do that. If Yeah, that that would be bad. Just if, to get uh, a bit of a future for the airplane. For sure. So, yeah. um, so getting into kind of the cockpit on the back seat. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the back seat, yep. right? Big thing is side stick control, mm -hmm. right? So the F-16 is fly-by-wire system. Yeah. So all digitally controlled flight controls. Yeah. So stick on the right side, throttle on the left side. Yeah. Uh, and then big other big things that you'll need to worry about is your uh, seat or your seat arming lever, mm -hmm. and then the ejection handle. Right. Obviously, it sits between your legs. Mm -hmm. um, and those are kind of the big uh, items there. So. Speed indicator. Yeah, so what you'll see on this right MFD is you can get a repeater of uh -huh. the HUD. Mm -hmm. Good. And yeah. so uh, you'll have the airspeed and altitude and right. all of also and our the flight G's. path marked yeah. up there, mm -hmm. G's and cool. all that stuff. Yeah. Um, you'll also have a G-meter uh, back here, like a backup G-meter. Mm -hmm. It sits on that. It's tough to see yeah. from this picture. Yeah. Um, altitude and airspeed. Mm -hmm. And that's airspeed there. in, I guess, hundreds of knots. Correct. Okay. Uh, that well, so that's altitude, and then that's yeah, yeah. airspeed in right. hundreds of knots. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it also, when it gets up to a certain airspeed, it also display the Mach number. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. So the com panel, which sits just forward of the throttle. Yep. These two, com one and com two, are outside agencies talking to us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I usually leave those Radio. kind of at the 12 to yeah. 1 o'clock position. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. The intercom is going to be you and me talking to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, I usually turn that all the way up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, even with it all the way up in the D model, sometimes it is difficult to hear the intercom. Mm -hmm. So if you're not hearing me, 
um, or, or you can hear me, but it's not very loud. Just let me know. Hey, I'm having trouble hearing you, and I'll just start. I'll yell at you at that okay, point. That's <laughs> and, fine. Can you hear me? Uh, cool. And then the hot mic switch is mm-hmm. right beneath the intercom knob. Um, so forward will be in hot mic. Middle mm-hmm. position will be cold mic. You'll probably you'll pretty much just leave it in hot mic in the hot. entire mm-hmm. time. Okay. Uh, cool. Any questions about the comp panel? So basically, the only thing I'm going to touch is this to make it loud enough and then put this into hot. Correct. Yeah. And they should be in that position when you get out Mm -hmm. to the jet, Mm -hmm. but uh, just in case they're not, where you need to adjust it. The one thing is, I will say if, there's not a whole lot of room back there. Yeah. Um, So if uh, you you can't hear me, or you can hear me, but you're talking and you're not hearing yourself or you're not hearing me respond to you, check and make sure that that hot mic switch didn't get accidentally bumped right, right, with right. your hands or yeah. gloves or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably the first thing you check if you can't uh, hear me. Yeah. Second thing, uh, if you're no longer hearing me, you're no longer hearing yourself, check to make sure that your um, comm cord is actually plugged in. Mm-hmm. And uh, then really the third thing, if none of those are working, you're unconscious. you can just like yell at me from the back seat and maybe I'll hear something. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean with the mask removed? Yeah, okay. with the mask mm-hmm. removed. Uh, yeah. And... Um, I might be able to hear something, but if intercom does fail and we've already left the ground, then uh, enjoy the ride, and I'll talk to you when we get back. <laughs> yes. <All> right? <laughs> so, uh, cool. So, ejection seat arming. When we get out to the runway, I'm going to say, uh, Marcus, my seat's hot up front. Go ahead and arm your seat in the back, mm-hmm. um, right prior to us taking off. So, this is what it looks like when it's... It's on the in, left side. Right? It's on the yeah. left mm-hmm. side. So, it's on the left side, and it, when you get all your gear on... You're, you're probably not even going to notice it because your knee right. tends to block mm-hmm, it, okay? Mm-hmm. So you might have to, like, move your knee over, but I'll yeah. show it to you when we get out to right. the jet. Um, in the up position, that's when it's safe, okay? You're going to... Meaning non-armed. Not armed, yeah. correct. So you're just going to take two fingers on the outside and rotate that lever down, and it's going to look like that. And it'll say ejection controls armed. And basically, I push it down. Or when you say two uh, fingers, I don't quite nope. understand what so, you mean with the movement. So there's a there's a um, uh, there's a little notch on the oh, sides and it's of this. like this way. Yes. Yeah, so okay. You're gonna yes, yes. Grab the outsides of it and just rotate. Okay, it down. I get it. Yeah. Uh, ejection handle uh, sits between your legs, right? So what I tell people is have respect for it, but don't be afraid right. of it, right? Um, um, so if we ever get into a situation where that would need to happen. You're going to get in the proper body position, right? And if you remember that, it's kind yes. of head back, chin yes. tuck, legs, legs yeah. not like out. And then what I do to keep my elbows tucked in is I put my thumbs through the ejection handle, the holes in the ejection handle. So mm-hmm. it... Uh, oh, so this goes with the ejection seat when we eject? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it kind of looks like... If we eject. Yeah. Uh, and then mm-hmm. if something like that were to happen, I'll pull like all the way up to my chest for uh, activating yeah. the yeah. ejection handle. Um, if we got into a situation, we'd talk about it and be like, hey, Marcus, we're gonna have to eject, like make sure everything, like you're mentally prepared for it, you know, everything's tightened down, you know, all that stuff. You know, seatbelts extra tightened. Um, and then I'm gonna say the B word, bail out, bail out, bail out. On that third B, that's when I'm gonna be pulling the handle. And you will for both of us. I, yes, it's sequenced. There's yeah. a hand uh, switch that sequences it right. so that the canopy goes, then the back seat goes a split second before the front seat. Yes. Uh, 
bail out, bail out, bail out, that's when I'm pulling the handle, okay? Make sure you're in the proper body position. If we don't have intercom, what you're gonna see is my little in-flight guide that I have here, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting in front of you. I'm just gonna kind of wave it right. like this. Yeah. Then you'll feel me pitch the nose up, and I'm gonna pull the throttle all the way back to idle, okay? You got, if you're not ready, push that throttle back up right. immediately. Mm -hmm. You get one of those, and mm -hmm. then I'll give you a second to kind of prepare and get ready again, and then I'm gonna pull the throttle back to idle. And then, and then we're going. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so talking about these little MFDs, so the multifunction yep. displays. So on the right side is the one where the HUD will display, and this little switch that's just to the right of it, mm -hmm. it it'll be in the down position. That's the, you. That's how you can switch it between HUD and our HSD. You'll just leave it uh, in HUD. I think it's easier because then I can kind of describe how the plane works. Right. Mm -hmm. um, from there. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Side stick interference. So when you're G-straining and that G-suit inflates, if you push, if you tend to push your legs out, then uh, you could potentially hit the stick. Also, not a big cockpit in the back seat, right? So if you're like twisting around or even right. just even just moving around at all, you could potentially bump the stick. Yeah. You could bump the throttle. Your feet will want to naturally rest on the rudder pedals. That if yeah. you're you know subconsciously like right. when you're pulling G's. Sometimes you tend, people tend to push on the rudders a little because bit. Because strain into it. Uh, yeah, exactly. So what I recommend is when you, when you are G-straining, I recommend pulling your toes, like think about pulling your toes yep. up to your knees, yep. and that'll help you kind of flex your calves yep. and get you up. And then and, push inwards. Yep. That's also what like, Mark told us. Yeah, so. like squeeze like a beach ball or something between your legs. Um, so that'll help you keep your, the feet off the rudder pedals yep. uh, when we're pulling Gs. And if you happen to bump, you know, stick, throttle, rudder, whatever, just let me know. Mm -hmm. um, most likely, you won't know that you did it. I'll be like, yeah. hey, Marcus, I think you accidentally bumped yeah. it. It's fine. Just uh, be conscientious about it. I never it. understood why in such a completely electric chat, you can't just switch a switch in the front and disable that thing. Because um, it would be technically too challenging, right? Yeah, so I actually can override you ah, okay, okay. in the front seat. Um, but if... If you're, I'm not gonna like. There's a lever that I can squeeze to right. override you. All right. But I'm not gonna hold it the whole time. No. Okay. You know it's not I mean? a general disable. It's a now yeah. I win. Yeah. Okay. I get it. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a there's a there's actually a switch that I can move in the front cockpit. Yeah. That will make that override lever either go in the front seat or the back seat, depending mm -hmm. on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, typically the D model is used for training, right? So yeah. the instructor usually sits in the back, yeah, yeah. student sure. in the front, right? So. There's a there's a switch up front where we can go okay over stick override in the back seat. So yep. now the computer right, will go right, right, listen right, right. to the back oh, seat. Yeah. So then the instructor can override the front seater yeah. if that were the case. Right. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let you do that though. <laughs> right? You never know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Oxygen regulator. So this will sit behind you, like just like this in this orientation. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it's kind of a uh, you got that exactly right. So. From out to in, it's green, white, red. Mm -hmm. So this uh, switch will be in PBG, so it'll be forward. It'll be locked in there. Uh, and then the center switch is the 100% O2, and then the red one is and, the emergency. That is this, where is this, what is the switch? This white thing, the, the white, white thing. Yep. Okay, I get it. So the white is 100% uh, right. O2. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, when you don't, really the only time you're going to touch that is when we check our emergency power unit or EPU on the ground. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, uh, that'll happen pretty early on. I'll just say, hey, Marcus, go ahead and, and uh, select oxygen 100%. Mm -hmm. You'll flip the switch. Now, when you get harness and helmet and all that stuff on, it's kind of tough to see. So yeah, you yeah. might just have to feel back there and yeah. go out to in. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So the middle switch, the white switch, uh, they all have a different, like, tactile feel. Right. 
So you'll just move that white switch forward. We'll check our EPU and then you can move it back to right. normal and I'll tell you that. Now you can leave it in 100% if you want. People say it helps with air sickness. Well, Doc mentioned that if you start to feel sick, you might want to use this forward to get another boost. Yeah, cool. It does, if you do leave it in 100%, it tends to give people a dry mouth. True. But yeah, yeah totally up to you. So that's really it. That's the entire uh, brief. That's the cockpit. Um, yeah, we talked about what we're going to go do. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let me make sure I'm not missing anything. Oh, if the... Uh, so if we do have some sort of smoke or fume mm -hmm. um, that we in the cockpit where we have to eliminate, I'm going to want you to move all three of those switches forward so that green one's already going to be forward. You'll move the white one forward, and then you move the red one into what emergency is the red oxygen. One? Emergency oxygen. So it so, takes the oxygen from another source? Or? Uh, no, it, so it, uses, it actually uses the same oxygen, but what it does at that point is it, it increases the volume of or the pressure oh, and the volume of right. oxygen that you're getting. So it drowns so that, out all the crap. Yeah, so you don't have to actually mm -hmm. work to, to right. breathe in uh, yes. the oxygen. Yeah. Um, so you need 100% O2 plus you're going to get the max uh, pressure right. uh, in your mass. Mm -hmm. There is another uh, separate emergency oxygen Major bottle that sits on your left side. Major There's a little brass ring there that you would pull. It's kind of like follow your hips all the way down. It sits right at the corner of where the That's on the, the seat. seat. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so if you ever were to pull that ring you would have to disconnect your oxygen uh, from the regulator um, mm -hmm. because normally if you were to pull that ring that would mean there's some sort of contamination right. in the system so you wouldn't yep. want to be getting both yep. uh, cool and that's really it for the oxygen yep. stuff uh, if we get have to get out of the jet on the ground like there's some sort of emergency oh, yeah. that we have uh, I'm going to stop the jet I'm going to say egress, egress, egress I'm going to pop the canopy and I just want you to unstrap so you have your lap belt mm -hmm. you have your seat kit uh buckles mm -hmm. so you're just going to kind of follow your um the sides down yep. to about your hips is where they sit you're just going to unlock those yep. and then you have your shoulder harness so i just right. kind of flip the cover rotate my thumbs and push down on that so the harness are those that are also attached to the risers right that's the, yes. that's this one yeah. yep yep mm -hmm. so yep. you have those two yep. contacts yep. the two contacts here and yep. then your single lap belt right. and then you also have your g-suit so you're going to unplug that and then you're just going to hop out the left side uh, the angle of the back seat of the canopy uh, in the back is a little bit lower, so just watch your head as you're getting, and this applies not just for emergency egressing, but oh, also getting in and out of the jet, just so watch that, especially mm -hmm. when you have a helmet on, it's tough to tell. Right. Uh, and then it's about a six foot drop off of the, uh, or sorry, I guess two meters. It's about no, a two no, meter I, drop. I, I'm able yeah. to do that. <laughs> it's about a two meter drop. I lived in Japan for three years, okay. so I had to yeah. make sure my, right. my uh, do the conversions yeah but, uh anyways yeah so that's that's pretty much it mm -hmm. um as far as that goes any questions overall on that for the self-flying part i leave the feet on the floor because it's all auto coordinated i guess and I uh yep you don't have to apply any so in a fighter jet yeah uh unlike so in a big straight wing light civilian type aircraft mm -hmm. uh you're gonna have you're gonna want to fly coordinated flight yeah. with um rudder and yoke yeah. Uh, in a fighter jet, we typically will roll and pull to get right, our nose that's the turning, turning. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And, and, um, yeah. to get our nose right. going in the right yeah, direction. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yes, the flight controls digitally controlled will automatically get you coordinated flight. So if you go into like a 30 degree bank for a standard rate turn, yeah. then it's going to automatically right. coordinate. Okay. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about cool. putting any rudder in there. Uh, if you're gonna, if if you do fly, I'll let you run the the stick. I can control the throttle for you unless you really want to control the throttle. If, I mean, if I'm, I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So I'll, yeah, you got when I.
transfer aircraft control to you. So I'll say, you have the aircraft. Yep. You say, I have the aircraft. And then uh, you'll have full control, uh, throttle, stick. Um, I will ghost the controls, though. Of course. In case, <laughs> I would uh, hope so. Yeah, in case we get into a situation where i got to take the jet sure. or um, I'm, I'm paying close attention to the airspace that we yeah. have to stay in. So yeah. if I take the jet because of airspace, I'll just let you know, hey, i got the yeah. aircraft real quick so we can yeah. turn back around. Yeah. It'll be fine yeah. at that point. Okay. Um, and I was but, thinking just doing a couple of turns, maybe a roll. Yeah, and please maybe do. Half a loop or something. Whatever you want. Yeah, so we'll, we're capped at... <laughs> oh, I'm still alive. We're capped at 180, right. so uh, yeah. when we do uh, loops or whatever, if you're going to do that, do whatever. And then if I have to take the jet because of altitude you or whatever, will. I'll just take the jet. Sure. And be like, of yeah, I have, the, I have the aircraft back. Yeah. Recover us, and then I'll be like, okay, you have the aircraft back. Okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, for you'll, you'll get the hang of it, I think, probably pretty quick, uh, how smooth the jet is and, and how responsive the flight controls are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty much do whatever you want. If you want to do rolls or whatever... Uh, just realize as you're doing that aileron roll, uh, you you don't have to push when you go oh, inverted. Yeah. It'll it'll yeah yeah it'll it'll stabilize yeah, it, it just to yes exactly right. and yes. it'll it'll roll very quickly so you yes. don't have to worry about yes. uh, doing any of that. <laughs> yes. But I'll be ready for it. Okay. Um, and I'll obviously announce whatever I do. Yeah, I'll be ready though. Cool. Um, <laughs> awesome. So well, that's pretty much the brief. You, you're definitely in for a treat this time because we get to go out as a two ship. So yeah, it's going to be exciting. Great. Um, well, great. Really looking forward. Well, let's go make it happen. Then. Yeah. Let's make the dream happen. Let's huh? do that. Um, so yeah, take about uh, five minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, hit the restroom definitely of beforehand. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to as well. Yeah. And then uh, why don't we meet back uh, by the heritage room where, where, yeah. I, where we picked you guys up? Cool. 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 Awesome. Wonderful. All right, I went back to the heritage room, used the restroom as suggested, and then chatted a bit with Rod. Um, a few minutes later, seven and eight came into the heritage room and we went out to the flight line. Um, we were kind of thinking about how to get there best. It's a few hundred meters to walk. And uh, so eight and I were offered a ride with a golf cart by somebody, um, which we gladly accepted. This was, I think, the only non-perfectly organized aspect. Everything else was perfectly orchestrated and totally professional. This was improvised, which was nice. Um, <laughs> so our F-16 was part of the line of six aircraft. Actually, they brought a seventh spare, but that was uh, stowed away at the end of the runway, kind of out of sight. It had a decal um, that marked it as number eight. Um, it would be re-decaled by the next day. I think it's number three or four to fly as part of the formation. The crew chiefs were out there prepping the aircraft. There was a bit of high-fiving and thanking everybody. And then I started putting on the G-suit. Of course, because it had been fit to me, it was now tighter than in the unadjusted form before, and I had a slightly hard time to close the ledges. I guess I was a bit nervous, and I got help by the crew chief. Put on the harness, that was not much of a problem, and then climbed up the ladder. Um, they showed me how to do this and how to get into the cockpit relatively elegantly without hitting any switches or destroying anything. And of course, this was also the time to take the hero shot, which is like me standing on the ladder slash aircraft looking into the camera. You'll see it somewhere on the website. Also, somebody told me to look closely at the canopy because it had my name on it. <laughs> I didn't even notice. So those guys are crazy, I think. I uh, said something along those lines. Very cool. I sat on the seat. Uh, it's actually a relatively tight cockpit. You have your feet under the panel. There is a center console with a bunch of indicators between your feet. It's not unlike my glider. 
Um, also because the seat is tilted back 30 degrees, it's a bit more in the glider, but still. There's a side stick on the right, the throttle on the left, and um, you want to make sure, as Aid told me during the briefing, you don't bump into stuff when moving around. It's really, everything is live and you don't want to like do anything bad. The crew chief helped me strap in um, the lap belt plus the two connectors to the parachute risers and the two hooks for the survival pack. Thanked the guy. Um, he <laughs> wished me an enjoyable flight and he left. Um, again, I was very surprised to learn that these shoulder straps which attach to the parachute, they're not actually tightened. So the only thing that literally the only thing that holds you in the airplane is your uh, lap belt. Uh, in the glider, uh, the shoulder belts are also very tight, especially if you do aerobatics, because you want to make sure when you're inverted, you still feel your butt planted onto the seat. Otherwise, you kind of feel as if you're falling out of the airplane. So here's only this one belt. It makes sense because you want to be mobile with your upper body so you can look around. But still, it was kind of surprising. Um, Jason came up, uh, checked the belt once again, uh, reminded me to make it even tighter. I did. Um, he didn't have to say that twice, if there's only this one thing that holds me in the plane. The helmet was on the cockpit rail. I put in the earplugs, put on the helmet, tighten it, uh, you know, make sure it's attached well, um, attached and removed the mask, practiced this two or three times, and lowered the visor very carefully and uh, left it in the down position. Uh, I, again, located the switches for the radio volume, seat arming and the 100% oxygen and uh, I guess at this point we were good to go. Um, eight got in as well, also helped by the crew chief and uh, well um, he closed the canopy, started the engines and started coordinating with seven in the aircraft next to us. Turned out they had a little bit of a problem with the intercom, which is why we eventually took off alone and we did the formation flying not on the way to the range, but on the way back in contrast to what has been briefed. But anyway, this is a good point for us to start listening to the actual audio with some comments of mine. If you want the completely unedited, uncommented version, then uh, go to the website omegatowpodcast.net slash Thunderbirds. There's a link to a video that has uh, no comments of mine at all. Enjoy! 8-7's got some intercom issues with the back seat, so go ahead and press. Actually, I'll just have to go do it while we're launching. Save the time. Okay. Uh, I am clear for trip. Got it. 7's got some, inter uh, has some intercom issues, yep. so we're just going to be uh, going solo there, Bryson. Okay. All right. All right, trim disconnected. I see no movement. Copy. Nose down. Nose this down. is checking the various error surfaces. Um, Jason moves the stick. Roll Crew left. chief checks whether Roll the right. surfaces move. Better left, better right. Better. Clear for big. Cool. Spirit close. Copy. Ready on the right brake. Right brake. Movement. No movement. Channel two. Movement. No movement. Copy. Ready on the left. Movement, no movement. Channel one. Movement, no movement. Parking brake is set. I still got a mid bat fail. Battery. Uh, TACAN's still working though, so. TACAN is tactical air navigation, kind of military VOR. Your, uh, got me power on. Yep, tracking. All right. Cool. Well, All right, thanks, sir. brother. I'm going to go over and try to fix that. All right. Have yeah. fun. See you. 
Now we're listening to ATIS, the airport terminal information service that tells us about weather, active runways, and other uh, interesting things about a particular airport, in this case, Fort Wayne International. Two, nine, or nine, or Visual approach runway 14 in use. Airport Notums, runway 523 closed. Taxiways Charlie 1, Mike, Yankee 5. Taxiway Yankee between runway 23 and Yankee 5, non movement. Be advised, TFR starts at 1500 Zulu, 11 o'clock local time for air show activity. All aircraft inbound are flying four wing contact approach 127.2. Advise contact, you have ATIS Mike. Good morning, foreign tire station, uh, Mike, weather observation 1354 Zulu. Wind 080 at Niner, gust 18, visibility Niner, ceiling 25,000 broken. Temperature 1 Niner, dew point 14, 2 Niner, Niner 8. Visual approach runway 14 in use. Airport Notums, runway 523 closed. Now Jason has switched to the clearance delivery frequency to request the IFR clearance um, for our flights. Four wing clearance delivery, Thunderbird 8, uh, clearance on request and with an update. And Thunderbird 8, uh, I have a clearance for Thunderbird 7. Are you guys the same one, flight at 2F16? Yes, sir. So Thunderbird 7 is uh, working some issues on the ground, so I'm going to go ahead of him as a single ship. We have the same clearance, uh, so we might be on two separate clearances uh, separated by about 10 minutes. And Thunderbird 8, stand by. Let me see if I can pull that up for you. Ops. Thunderbird 8, radio check uniform. So this is now the check of the military radio, U, UHF. I do not have a uh, IFR clearance stored for you. Yeah, copy that. Uh, am I able to take Thunderbird 7's clearance and um, just use that? And then he can pick up the same clearance in about uh, 10 to 15 minutes. And Thunderbird 8, uh, affirmative, I'll change the call sign for you. And you're clear to the Fort Wayne Airport as filed. Maintain 3,000, expect 16,000, minutes after departure. So he wants us to do a regular IFR departure with an initial altitude of 3,000 feet and then basically a slow climb to 16,000. We'll see that that's not quite what Jason wants to do. <laughs> departure frequency 127.2, squawk 4347. And that's the transponder code. Thunderbird 8, clear to Fort Wayne. On departure of flight 3000, strike 16000. Uh, Squawk in 4347, do you have a uniform frequency? And departure frequency uniform 284.6. 284.6, and Thunderbird 8 is going to be requesting a quick climb to 10000 on departure. And Thunderbird, I have your request, you can expect that with local. Thunderbird 8, copy, thanks. Cool. We are good to go via text message. Alright. That hooked up there. And cool. Alright. You ready to rock? Yeah. I'm ready to rock. You too. Ground Thunderbird 8, taxi 1 with information mic clearance and request a quick climb to 10,000. Thunderbird 8, Fort Wayne Ground, again. Thunderbird 8 is looking to taxi runway 14 with information mic and clearance requesting quick climb to 10,000. Thunderbird 8 clear to foreign airport as bound, maintain 3,000, spoke 16,000. 
Kind of ambiguous. Can I taxi now? Super eight copies all. Look at clearance and taxi to runway one four. Thunderbird eight, they are current position. Currently at uh, show center at the International Guard ramp. Thunderbird eight point one four, taxi via Yankee Cross runway two three. Taxi via one four via Yankee Cross runway two three. Thunderbird eight. Thunderbird eight. Wind zero nine zero one three gust one eight thousand number two nine eight nine eight two nine nine eight number eight. It's taxing. Copy, good to go. See you in the airspace. That was Thunderbird seven on UHF. Also, uh, I told clearance to just refile me as Thunderbird eight, so you still still have your clearance. Wind zero nine zero one three gust one seven. Here we go, Marcus. Yeah, my seat is not yet armed. Correct. Good. Yes, correct. I'll okay. let you know when we're going to do that. All right. All right, starting to taxi with the obligatory brake test where the F-16 almost bows a little bit. Very cool. The noise, of course, here is our breathing because, as I told you before, the microphone is built into the mask, so it picks up the breathing as well. Big old B-52 over there. Yep. And you're a C-17, right? That's right. Yep. So you uh, you seem pretty familiar with the F-16. I know you were saying that uh, you were able to get the um, General Dynamics sent you some. Did they send you some schematics or? No, nice, just pictures. Oh, pictures. I had about two meters of books about this airplane when I was a, a child. Wow, young. that's pretty cool. Yeah, and a few years back I visited Dallas. One of my listeners flies with the aggressors there, and we recorded a three-hour discussion about the airplane and how to fly it. Wow, that's awesome. Very cool. Very impressive. Helicopter A03, All right, we've reached the hold point for runway 14, and Jason has switched to tower frequency to get the takeoff clearance. Tower Thunderbird 8, ready for takeoff runway 14. Quick climb to 10,000 on request. Seabird 18, Fort Wayne Tower. Runway 14, clear for takeoff. Fly runway heading, climb maintain, 16,000, unrestricted. Thunderbird 8, clear for takeoff. Runway 14, fly runway heading, unrestricted climb to 16,000. Seabird 18, when able, you can contact Chicago Center on 307.37. 307.37. Affirmative. 307.37 Chicago Center. Thunderbird 8, thanks. Yep. All right, here we are. Lined up, ready for takeoff. Just make sure we're good to go. All right, go ahead and arm your seat. All right. My seat is now armed up my, front. My seat is armed as well. Okay. Cool. 14.51. This is our takeoff time. It's armed, smoke's armed, running her up. Engines pulling up while brakes still hold us still. Then check, smoke gun ready now. Smoke off ready now. It's on the roll. Right. Here goes afterburner. 
So we get this uh, kick in the back. There it is. Yo! All right, accelerating down the runway. About two Gs, as I said before. Really, really impressive. Tires, we got jet. We are airborne gear. Gear up quickly because of potential overspeed. Accelerating to about 350. And here we go. Here come the Gs. Five Gs. The K-style breathing. There it is. Climbing Yo. with about 60 degrees. Chicago Center, Thunderbird 8, airborne passing 5,000 for 1, 6,000. That was quick 5,000 feet. <laughs> Thunderbird 8, uh, Chicago Center, full weight altimeter is 2998. 2998, Thunderbird 8. Thunderbird 8, uh, verify you are assigned 160 uh, heading, is that correct? That was me being happy about the pulling over the top as we reach about 12,000 feet um, with a climb rate of about 240 meters per second. That's damn impressive. You see me before I see you. If you would report, actually, I think you see you now. Keybird 8, put an ident for me, please. Thunderbird 8 with a flash. Well, that took uh, only a few minutes. radar contact about five miles southeast of Fort Airport, clear to Cobra uh, waypoint. Well, Thunderbird 8, clear, direct to Cobra. And uh, cancel IFR, I'll proceed 14-5 uh, out to the west. Okay, in that case, Thunderbird 8, rather, um, cancellation by IFR is received, maintain VFR, and uh, advise of any altitude change. Thunderbird 8, we'll go, and I'll maintain my squawk for flight following if able. Thunderbird 8, I just want to verify, you're looking for a 12 mile east and west, Hilltop Moab and uh, Hilltop Echoes as well, up to 34. Negative, sir, we can take uh, 12 mile and Hilltop uh, up to 180. Copy, Thunderbird I'll show that. This was the confirmation about the MOA, the military operating area, the uh, airspace that's available for us to play. That's 45 Chicago Center, and still maintains level 230. All right, well, there's the runway off our right side. Yep. Uh, and here we are at 14,500 feet. What what altitude do you normally get to when you're um, in your glider? So normally the airspace is restricted to about 10,000 feet, but I've been up at 21,000. Oh, nice. In a wave. In a glider? Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. In a mountain wave. Wow. Do you but need the, oxygen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like when you, okay. Yes. So do you have to carry that with you every time? Yeah, but only when we go alpine flying. Okay. Not during a normal day. Very cool, sir. I have a little engine in my glider. Yep. And I just looked it up on Wikipedia, so the F-16 can climb 300 times faster. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, there you go. That was impressive, the takeoff. Yeah. Glad we got to do that. Yeah. That was fun. And great view. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, it's not too bad, huh? Yeah. Best view in the world. Yes, absolutely. All right, so we're going to pass the town of Huntington. Huntington, okay. uh, coming up here off the right, and then yep. only another oh, what, thirty South miles? Eight, ninety-eight, so forty miles. Six thousand, sixteen thousand. The uh, stop in the two niner niner niner. What's the plan with Thunderbird Seven? Are we waiting or? Uh, he's just going to meet us in the airspace whenever okay. uh, he gets out there. Yeah. Okay. So we're at around three hundred knots, correct? 
Uh, yep, we're 345. Yep, so on the left side, it's climbing through yep. 320 right now. Yep, on the right side, we're at right at I never got a read back from my end here. Uh, verify assigned altitude now is 16,000. Now, do you, uh, is your jet in uh, meters? Either it's probably just yes, it don't is. worry okay. about it. We find meters. I guess your glider. I shouldn't say yep. jet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, when we interact with ATC, then we have to fly flight levels and feet as well. Okay. Can you switch between the two? Yeah, I mean, the mechanical altimeter we cannot, but the various computers we have, of course, are there. for UHF frequency today. VHF, please, sir. Bird 8, Roger, have a good day. Contact Chicago Center at 120.97. And sorry about that, sir. I misspoke. Can I get a UHF for them? Hi, sir. Seabird uh, 8, it's uh, frequency 370.85. So as you can see, we have to interact with civilian ATC as any airliner or general aviation aircraft. Um, only when you're in military airspace, we're basically unconstrained. Chicago Thunderbird 8, check uh, 145815 which is a little military operating airspace. Okay. We have a little chunk in there that we're going to use. Yep. And we can go all the way down to 1,000 feet, all yep. the way up to flight level 180. Yep. Seabird 8, just for my verification, you want the 12-mile uh, and hilltop MOA? Okay, thanks. Yes, sir, 12-mile hilltop MOA for about the next 30 minutes. So we're happily cruising along to the MOA, almost like an airliner, but with much better view, of course. But not much going on. Chicago Thunderbird 8 is going to proceed into the mode. Uh, I don't have a clearance for you yet, sir. Thunderbird, copy, stay with you. Okay, no clearance for the mode yet. Here's into the air space in about a minute. Thunderbird 8, copy, go. Thunderbird 8, maintain. German 3, Lima, squawk 6614. You are clear to fly the 12 mile east and west and the hilltop mode up to, but not including flight level 180. Grissom's altimeter again is 9 or 4. Thunderbird 8, this frequency cleared from center frequencies. Quite busy here. Thunderbird 8, copy all. Switch to frequency. Thanks, I'll contact you in about 20 minutes. All right, here we are. Cleared into the airspace. Okay. Ops, Thunderbird 8, radio check Victor from the airspace. Ops is basically Thunderbird's ground, and Victor is the VHF radio, in contrast to Uniform, the UHF radio. 12-mile MOA, Thunderbird 8, entering for the... Uh, Sliver for the next 20 minutes. Sandy, check out. Two, three, four. Mash, Sandy, one, one. Seem to be other people on this frequency in this area as well. Sandy is uh, basically combat air rescue with uh, thunderbolts. That wasn't me. All right, here we are. All We're right. in airspace uh, right now. So we're going to set up for the G-Awareness exercise. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Last year was talking earlier. There might be a delay for trying to get uh, an endeavor plan out. All right. Here we are at 430 knots. We're going to do a 93 turn to the left. We're powered as well. Thank you. ready for it? Yeah, but talk louder. Okay. 
Here come the G's. Way too fast. And Jason will tell me in a moment. All right, Marcus, how you doing? Yeah, that was not a problem. Not a problem. Sweet. When you're doing your G strain, make sure you take uh, you got to take a little bit more time between your breaths. Yep. So you can kind of mimic what I'm doing. Yep. So when you get on top of the G, you make that. Yep. And you're gonna hold it there for about two to three seconds yep. before you take that. Yep. All right, here we go. Here comes the six G turn. Here come the G's. How low did you guys go? All the way to the ground. All right. Uh, All right, how's that? I survived that too. You survived it. All right, we're gonna do a little uh, rip around and low <laughs> Somebody's impressed. Not too bad, right? No, that's crazy. <laughs> so here we are flying over Indiana. So we've descended to a few hundred meters above ground. Let these people know that the Thunderbirds are here. Yep. And Sandy, uh, about uh, 2,000 uh, MSL is about the best we're going to do. AFRAC kind of restricts us on uh, this low altitude stuff. You really perceive the speed much better, obviously, at this low level. You're quite fast. So here we are. We're being, uh, between 1,000 and 2,000 feet. Yep. Flying over some of the farmland in Indiana. We're going about four to 500 knots. Kind of hang out in there. Now we're just kind of cruising around. Can't believe they let us fly this over here. This is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun. I hope you're having a lot of fun. I, yeah, yeah. Of course. There's a big main road. That'll take you from town to town. Yep. It's nice. What is the uh, the countryside that you uh, fly around in look like? Is it a lot of hills, mountains? It's a little bit hilly. Yeah. Up to Five, six, seven hundred meters MSL. Okay. Kind of a medium, silly mountainous area. Yeah. There's probably no place in Germany that's as flat and as big as this one, obviously. Yeah, Indiana <laughs> is very flat, my yeah. friend. It's very flat. You can see all across the state. Yep. Cool. That was fun at low altitude. Yep. We, uh, you want to do some uh, knife edge passes? Sure. All right, cool. Yeah. Let's pop up to 5,000 AGL. Quick two and a half G pull into a climb. After a few seconds, we're at 5,000. Roll to inverted, pull to level flight, roll again, done. Get ourselves leveled off here. Yep. Power's coming in just a bit. That ain't bad, right? Yo. Cool. All right, here we go. Smoke on ready now, and here comes the knife edge. A little bit of rudder. Yep. A little bit of half a G there. And displaying that Thunderbird emblem with the knife edge between the towers. Yep. And roll it out. Cool. Sweet. So yeah, we were about uh, between 475 and 500 knots on that at mill power the entire time. And the knife edge, about half a G. Yep. Cool. Here comes a little bit of G as we turn back around. Yep. And we set up for our eight-point roll. Basically, every trivial turn has a bunch of Gs here. We <laughs> should only get to about three Gs in these turns yeah. as we turn back around. How you doing back there? You doing all right? I'm perfectly nice. fine. Thumbs up. Sandy, cool. how many passes are we making? One, as far as I know. So the Sandys again. One. They want more later on. We'll about to do that. Copy. Slows down just a touch so we can do our eight points. Yep. Whoa, that's a big slowdown. Yeah, it's a big speed break. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> cool. 
All right. So here comes the eight-point roll. You count. On, so you got to count in German. I'll count all in right. English. All right. Yep. Let's do that. All right. Here comes the pull. Smoke on. Ready now. And one. All right. These eight stops are relatively edgy, yeah. relatively tough. You have to make sure you keep your head straight. Yeah. Otherwise, it's banged around. Ah, we did it. Yeah. Very nice. Good job. <laughs> we made it. We actually did eight that time. Yeah. I love it. Uh, okay, here comes the four-point roll. You ready for that okay. one? Okay. Yeah. You don't have to count this one, but... Uh, uh, okay. All right, get her set back up here. Yep. Leveled up. And... Smoke on, ready now, and okay. here we go. One, One, two, three, four. Okay. Yep, so there's a, in the four point, it's a lot more rudder movement. There's a lot yep. more pushing, especially yep. for the inverted yeah, line. because of the little knife edge in between, right? Yeah. Yep. So um, it can be a little, uh, it's a little uncomfortable, but... So I actually flew that a little bit slower than our solos do. Okay. They uh, fly it a little bit quicker yep. and snappier um, yep. just because they got to get through it being that close to the ground and only having about uh, half a mile to get it done. Yeah. So, uh, but you can see it, it can be uh, be very aggressive. Yep. So, oh. All right. <laughs> Turn it back around here for our inverted to inverted flight. Yep. So for this next maneuver, we'll go smoke on. We'll go smoke on as we go inverted, and then we'll uh, stabilize there, do a 360-degree aileron roll back yep. to inverted, and then we will roll All up. Right. Okay. Or roll upright, I guess. How you doing? Everything good? Everything fine. Excellent. Eight seven is twenty east of Cobra Timber Sweep. So the military likes code yeah, words, right? Timbersweet as well. I think Timbersweet means the passenger in the back is fine. All right, here we go. Here goes some inverted flight. Yep. All right, trim this turn point. I'm checking in discreet. It sounds like uh, they are using the MOA frequency for the Sandys that are doing the practice right now. Pepel. All right, smoke on ready. Uh, any detail picture from them? Anything we need to do? No, I think I mean, they're at the airfield. I copy. Right. Oh, copy. Be and inverted. Yep. That's when you want your Smoke lap belt right to be really tight. And it was. There's that. Here comes the aileron roll. Woo! Hey. Little bit of push. Roll it out. Over. 270 <laughs> degrees roll rate right. per second, by the way. Right. How you doing? Fine. Sometimes that gets people. No, no. No problem. All right. Cool. All right. So like I said in the brief. That was our warm-up. Yeah, I remember. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do an Immelman for you. Okay. So we can get us going back the other direction. Yep. Immelman is so half a loop and then half a right roll. Now. Basically, here it turns around speed. your flight direction. I'll remain above 10 and then flow uh, in behind you after the GX. Copy that. I am doing an Immelman back to the other side of the airspace. Solid. Okay, Sandy, seen a bit. And uh, when you get the airspace, just let me know you're going to be more so with us. I appreciate it. All right, that. There we go. We All did right. it. Yeah, we back. All right. <laughs> you let me know when you're ready for 9Gs. Well, I don't have a choice, right? <laughs> you totally have a choice, my friend. <laughs> Let's try it. Okay. I'm going to accelerate, get us back down to uh, altitude so we can yeah. do it. I'll put in 100% oxygen out. just to be sure. All right. Sounds good. 
I can see some of our smoke trail off the left side. Yeah, cool. All right, here we are at about uh, 6,500 feet. 440 knots. You ready? Yeah. All right, afterburner. Here come the G's. Too fast breathing again. Woo! Woo! 9.1! Woo! 9.1! <laughs> How you feeling? I'm still feeling fine. 9.1 G's you just got. I don't. You probably haven't done that in your glider yet. Huh? Holy shit! <laughs> it's quite exhausting. That's cool. for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll cool. just take a take a little breath and do yeah. a little So I obviously there. didn't G-lock, and I also didn't back notice around. getting tunnel vision, but I certainly did. I just didn't notice. It's moving back to the north to start the racetrack. Copy. Proceeding low altitude. All right, so Seven is out here with us in the airspace now. Okay. So uh, you'll probably see them with some smoke on, which will be pretty cool. Uh, we'll probably rejoin with them after they're done with their profile. Yep. And then uh, we'll get to do some cool formation flying. Yep. This is cool. <laughs> <laughs> you doing good? Yeah, yeah, I'm perfectly okay. Yeah. That 9Gs is uh, it's a lot. Yeah, it do, yeah. How long was it? Two or three seconds? Uh, we were at 9 Gs, yeah, for about three seconds yeah. or so. Yeah. Um, we were above 7 Gs, though, the entire time. Okay, yeah. It is actual work to strain against it, but I can see how you can get used to it once the G-strain maneuver is kind of second nature. Whew. All right. So, uh, you ready to start maneuvering again? Sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. So we'll just do a couple of uh, slow maneuvers here. So yep. our diamond pilots, they all fly three feet to 18 inches. Uh, that's how close they fly to each other. Yep. So when they're doing their maneuvers, they'll do loops and rolls and kind of uh, like flat passes. But uh, so when we do this barrel roll that we're about to do, just imagine you got another guy three feet off your wing yep. on the right side, on the left side, and then one guy who's three feet uh, beneath your jet. Yep. And you got to just maintain a constant roll rate, smooth the entire time, yep. because you're only 400 feet above the ground. Yep. So, smoke gun ready now, nose coming up, and smooth pull to 15 degrees. Now we're going to start a roll as we go up with our barrel roll. Yep. Nice and smooth. All the way around. Uh -huh. We're going to increase the roll rate just a bit. Yeah. Nice. And then bring it back up to the horizon. Trying to match our parameters for where we started. And that's it. Cool. Nice. So that's, uh, that's the barrel. Yeah. All right. A little bit of G as we turn back around. Get ourselves set up for the aileron rolls. Yep. So the normal aileron rolls, they rotate the aircraft around its long axis, and the barrel roll basically moves the aircraft along the inside of an imagined barrel. Now, can you do any aerobatics in your glider? Yes. Really? I mean, not for the one I have, right. but I've done aerobatics with other gliders. Interesting. That's really cool. I've never actually seen gliders uh, doing aerobatics. I, I guess mean, I've never really heard of that. 
You can only do it for about 10 minutes until you're yeah. out of altitude, right? And then you yeah, have right. to be again. But otherwise, it works fine. Now, do they have competitions? They do, yeah. Really? I, I mean, don't, but people do. Have, and have you ever thought about uh, doing that? Nope, I'm not such a competitive person. Ah, got it. Got it. Cool. All right. Well, you ready for the aileron roll? Yes. Okay. Four aileron rolls coming up. Okay. Smoke on ready now. Nose coming up. Let it stabilize and rolling. One. Two. Two. Three. Four. four. Woo. <laughs> and like I said, you got to pull up. Yo. You got to unroll. Yo. When you do it. That's the only way to stabilize everything. Yeah. Yeah, right. Slow roll in the other direction. <laughs> there we go. How you feeling? I'm doing okay. Feel good? Yep. Awesome. The Elon rolls, uh, sometimes it gets people. But yeah, I, I actually, I do feel a little bit of stomach, but um, not bad at all, but I can see how it's different from the others. Yeah, definitely different. So, Awesome. Well, we'll cruise uh, on down to the other side of the airspace. Yep. And then uh, when we turn back around, we'll set up for vertical rolls. Yep. And uh, we'll call that pretty much profile complete, then I'll let you fly. How about that? Yep. Sounds good. You know what? We can probably do vertical rolls right here if you're ready. Yeah, sure. All right. We're going to descend and accelerate. All right. Here we go. Smoke on ready now. Here come the Gs. Six Gs in the pull-up. Stop and roll. And stop and pull. All right. And if you look right out of the top of the canopy, you can see our smoke trail. Yo. <laughs> for our vertical rolls. That's pretty freaking cool, man. Yep. That's definitely my favorite maneuver. <laughs> All right. Marcus, how are you feeling? I'm feeling fine. You feeling like you want to fly? Absolutely. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to set us up so we're deconflicted from number seven. Yeah. Uh, I'll put us at about, uh, we'll call it 6,500 feet. Yep. And then I'll let you uh, take the controls. Okay. I'll be ghosting them and yep. just expect me to take them at some point when we have to yep. maneuver for airspace, right? Stand by one. Seabird 8, Chicago. Okay. Go, Seabird 8. Seabird 8, I've got a Mass 7-2 tanker just off of Grissom looking to enter into the airspace. Uh, are you uh, looking to accept MARSA with, uh, with uh, Mass 7-2? Uh, negative, sir. We're not going to accept MARSA with them. Uh, we're, not, we're not taking up here. Would have been cool, though. south of the 12-mile airspace in the hilltop. We'll uh, teach a click from them that way. And Seabird 8, the tail end of the air transmission was cut off. Uh, what did you say after you said you were not MARSA with the MASH? Uh, affirmative, sir. Not uh, negative, Marsa with Mash. Looking to stay in the 12 mile airspace. So if they can stay south of 12 mile, we'll we'll just deconflict from them that way. Seabird eight, Roger. Um, are you so you are not going to enter in uh, hilltop anymore? You're only going to stay in 12 mile. So we're in the overlap. We're 12 mile and hilltop overlap, and we'll stay in that airspace. Okay, thank you, and Seabird 8, uh, how, uh, how much longer are you looking to stay in the airspace? We got uh, another 10 to 15 minutes in here. Thank you. 271 Pablo Hotel, I'm sorry, did you try and check in? All right, sorry about that. Yep. 
All righty, we are deep now. Uh, yeah, pretty much between a one zero zero and one, call it one seven zero heading. Yep. We'll just stay there. Yep. And at 7,320 feet, you have the aircraft, my friend. All right, I have control. Have oh. So I started doing some turns, basically getting a feel for the roll and the kind of feeling of the stick. Cool G's, do loops, do barrels. Yep. I just need to get, to get some feel. Yeah. Started pulling some G's, still breathing too fast. All right. Okay. Give, give me a left turn. Yep. For airspace reasons. Back. Nice. Smooth. See, you're getting the hang of it. Beautiful. How far more left? Oh, no, you can roll out now. Oh, okay. Sorry. Good. I didn't realize you were waiting for All me. All right. Nice. Okay, I'll try an aileron roll. All righty. A little bit up here. Oops. And just... Look at that. There you go. All right. Yeah, give, uh, give me about a 90 degree right hand turn. Yep. So you basically put the stick to the right for a second and wait, and then your roll is over. And then you can power back just a little bit. This is much, Perfect. much simpler than the stuff you have to do with an ASK-21, which lumbers around its long axis for... Yeah, power back a little bit more. You know, seconds on end. All right, have the aircraft real quick. Yeah. Okay, I didn't yet have a feel for the throttle. Oh, so much more. <laughs> yeah. This baby likes to accelerate. Yeah, okay. Cool. All right. Okay. Okay, you have the aircraft. All right, I'm doing something vertical, just uh, kind of a half a loop or something. All right. Okay, accelerate maybe a little bit. Yep, you're perfect right there. Okay. About 485 knots. Okay, and then let's nice go. Straight. Here come the cheese. So I was pulling up with about four and a half, five Gs, going over the top slowly, pulling the nose under the horizon, and when we were pitched 25 degrees down roughly, I rolled upright again. You can see our smoke trail off the left side. Yep. Nice. <laughs> man, 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 this is cool. Awesome. All right, I have the aircraft again. Yep. I'm going to get us turned around. Yep. Obvious that I didn't have much of... An awareness of the airspace and where we were. What do you think? All right, you've flown the Viper now for a little bit. <laughs> nice airplane. It's <laughs> pretty fun, huh? Yep. Maybe a little different than uh, some of the aerobatics. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm surprised how much stick force there is if you want to pull G's. I mean, uh, there's not, obviously not aerodynamic force, but you have to pull quite a bit mechanically on the stick, which I wouldn't have expected. Yeah, so to get max deflection, it's uh, 25 pounds of force. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they definitely make sure that they're like, all right, you sure you want to pull these? Yeah, exactly. All right, yeah. here you go. Yeah. So, get her uh, back around again. And uh, I'll let you fly for a little bit more. We still got a little bit of gas, a little bit of time. Okay. So, leveled out. Nice and stable. You have the aircraft. All right, I have the aircraft. Yeah. If you're not going upside down every flight, why would you? Can I accelerate a bit just to feel the engine? Yeah, sure. So I still didn't have a good feel for, you know, how much throttle movement gives me how much change in acceleration or engine power, basically. Nice. 
Condell. Yeah, more or less, yeah. Yeah. I'd have to do that a little bit more. Uh, a little bit slower, yeah. Yeah, let, let me try again. And pull higher and... You go back to the left. Left? Yeah. Okay. And turn more over the head. This was not aggressive yeah. enough. I still flew it too much like a glider. Um, <laughs> but, well, uh, if I do this again, I'd prepare a bit more and do some more aggressive maneuvering. Now that I know the aircraft a little bit. I just got vertical rolls and then max, max turn in the east, and we'll be good to go. The bingo announcement basically means we have bingo fuel, meaning we have enough fuel to kind of comfortably get back to the airport specified in the plan. Um, so we have a little bit more gas left, and then we'll have to return back home. All right. I have the aircraft real quick. Yep. I'm going to get us back, uh, right. back around to the left here. Yeah, I have no idea what direction we're going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no worries. Can you see the uh, heading on the HUD? Yeah, computer? yeah, sure, but I, I don't have a good orientation of the landscape yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Not too much situational awareness here. Yep, no problem, that's what I'm here for. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, sometimes when we're doing uh, dogfighting, we'll uh, be pulling, you know, six or seven Gs, looking backwards, trying to, yep. you know, defend against uh, the adversary, just using spatial references. Yep. Because uh, you can't really turn back around. Yep. But it is fun. Yes. <laughs> so, uh... So where are the others? Yeah, so the others, they're about uh, 15 miles behind us. Okay. Up at altitude, and I am going to actually get us turned back around because they got the max G portion left, and uh, then we will go rejoin with them. Yep. How about that? Yes, that's great. Cool. So we'll start a little bit of a climb. Yep. Looks like they're turning around pretty rapidly. Seven's complete. Ready for the right joint at 11,000 right hand turn 350. The G-forces. Eight. Gotcha, seven. Ah, sorry, stepped on the radio. Sorry, say that again. I said I feel work Audi like a like I'm sweating a little oh. bit from the work against the G forces, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Yep. Push three seven zero ninety five. Oh, well, there. There they are. You see them smoke? Yeah, see them. Yeah, so spotted them in the distance, um, and we're getting closer. We're gonna go rejoin with them. Yep. Let's go chase. Back on 6915, the Sumerian 610. So he's lead? He is leading. Okay. Information flying, there's always one aircraft that kind of decides where we go, and the other one uh, follows on the wing. Chicago Center, T Bird 7. A little bit of. Bird 7, Chicago Ooh. 1. Chicago Center, T Bird 7 and T Bird 8 have rejoined, ready to RTB to Fort Wayne, VFR 11.5. RTB means return to base. That's T Bird 7, Flight Roger, and uh, what up to you guys looking at RTB at, uh, or exit here, space at? T Bird 7 at 11.5. T Bird 7, Flight Roger, uh, maintain VFR at all times, advise of any altitude changes, Fort Wayne altimeter, 298. And um, just verify you are officially clear to the airspace now. T Bird 7, clear to the airspace, 2998. 
We send up for some wing work. Heading 360 on by 3522. Send up some wing work. Check ticks on, check set. Got it done. Go spread. Go spread. Mass 72, Roger. I'll have a clearance into the airspace here shortly. All right, we're going to fly our spread formation. This is what our diamond pilots will fly. Make sure you check out the pictures on the website. Holy shit. This was really close. Basically, one and a half meters wing to wing. Very impressive. We see 5691, four miles from Gumping, turn right hitting 330. Maintain 3,000 steps on the same way. The first problem to get air to air picture, I don't need a telephoto lead. That's right. So it's a lot of fine grade work with the throttle. Yep, it's just really, really tiny movements. Yep. Stand by for a left turn. Left turn. And coordination via the radio. Left turn and a little more pull. Announcing that the turn would become tighter. Left turn and a little more pull. Stop turn. Right turn. Ease and forward right turn. And some singing. Ease and forward right turn. Right turn and a little more pull. Left turn. Ease and forward. Left turn. Ease and forward. Left turn. Back left. All the way. Go for keyboard seven. Keyboard 7, flight contact the full wind approach now, 127.2 or 284.6. Bingo. Bingo. Getting closer to Fort Wayne, hand off to the respective approach. Push to 8.6, go loose And notice how air traffic considers our two ship basically one aircraft. They just talk with 7. Fort Wayne approach, Keyboard 7. Keyboard 7, Fort Wayne approach. Point off clear is 2-9-8-9-er. Airboss said enter the TFR at 10,000. Just said it maintain 1-0-thousand. Keeper 7 down to 10,000, 2989. Set 2989. Set 2989. T-Bird 7, there's traffic just for heads up at your 11 o'clock, 5 miles northwestbound, 2600. You can contact the Airboss at this time. Keeper 7, Wilco, thanks for the help. Some traffic advisory because we are flying VFR. T-Bird 7, the Airbus is on at 134.1. T-Bird 7, 134.1, we'll go. So there's a temporary restricted area because of the air show, and within that area, the Airbus is in charge. Push 1 over 134.1. That's why we're contacting him, because we want to fly into that TFR to land. Also a heads up for Thunderbirds Ops, so they know we're coming back and they can prepare to receive us. You know, the crew chiefs would get in position as we taxi and stuff. Airbus, Thunderbird 7 will enable. Thunderbird 7, go. Airbus, T-Bird 7 and 8 are 15 miles to the west at 10,000. Roger that. 10 to 15, you're cleared into the box. Uh, block 10 to 15. T-Bird 7, 10 to 15. B-17, do not proceed inside two miles until I get this sorted out. B-17, staying away two miles. There's a B-17 landing as part of the air show training day, kind of. Um, beautiful sight to see it land from the top in a few moments. 
So we're still in formation as we approach the airport. Request to cut on the inside, lead on the right. Clear to cut on the inside. Seven, you have the lead on the right. Seven has lead right. Now the can't uh, you can uh, back taxi 927 and 187. We are overhead waiting for sequencing. Seven's cut one. The 17 clear to land winds are zero nine zero. I think one two right now. Clear to land. A lot more up here. So you hear all that ahead to, uh, Yeah, that's just the air boss. Yep. Uh, Charlie, turn off the Charlie, and then across the uh, close so we're runway basically back waiting to your for spot. To land. Yep, okay, pretty much. Yeah, we're basically circling overhead the airport. Yeah, 17 cleared all the way down. Charlie, well, that's cleared, kind of an interesting uh, perspective to play an air show, huh? Yeah. yeah. From up here? Charlie, Absolutely. New bingo, 1.6. What would be our alternate today if we couldn't play it because we can't get it sorted out down there? Uh, well, I would anticipate that we'd be able to land here, but uh, if we, for whatever reason, we can't, Grissom Air Air Force Base, okay. which is, we were actually in the airspace where we were at, Grissom Air Force okay. Base was right beneath us yeah. in that okay. airspace. Now, did you have any interest in military aviation? That was never a question with my glasses. I guess that's true. Valid. So, but if, let's say, uh, that wasn't the case. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Nice. I mean, I did, between maybe... So he's planning to perhaps sequence us after he launches these guys? Step I hope. In my free time, doing stuff with military airplanes. Yeah. And books and model airplanes and stuff like that. That was a huge... Uh, whatever. Fan. <laughs> Let me know if you want to plan to go oh. first, just for fuel purposes. That would have been an option, definitely. Well, I'm at sitting at uh, 1.8 right now. Copy. I mean, it looks like there's somebody in the box right now. Thunderbird 7, boss. Boss, go for 7. Yeah, you guys are established overhead, is that correct? Hey, firm, we got about uh, 5 minutes max hold time for number 8. Okay. Chipmunk, I got to land Thunderbird Seven. I'm going to put him out west, line him up on runway one four. I'll tell him when. I'll tell you when he's coming in. Bring him in. Hey, Thunderbird Eight, boss. Go for eight. Cleared out of fifteen. Plan on going uh, three miles to the west. Uh, descend. Let me know when you're lined up for runway one four. No overhead is available. Got it, boss. Uh, Thunderbird 7, if you want to take up about a two-mile spacing behind Thunderbird uh, 8, we can get you both down. We'll go for 7. I'll just follow you. Thank you. Got it. Blackhawk, here, boss. In decent. Got it. Go for Black Sheep 1-1. Black Sheep 1-1. Uh, so have you been able to uh, tour any... Uh, so basically send up for straight. Got some. Smoke on ready now. Thunderbirds, you're clear to make a pass over the airport, 3,000 uh, 4, 3, foot minimum, and uh, Chipmunk's just about through with his routine. 2% woke up. So we're basically doing a pass along the runway and then a hard left break and then going into basically downwind and base and final. The hard left turn helps bleed off speed to lower speed for the pattern. Thank you very yeah, much, Thunderbird 8. You were the lowest on fuel, cleared for the overhead runway, uh, runway 14. Let's go ahead and make it a left break. 
Runway one four left break. Dock for the terminal. Got a bounce, runway one four left break. Uh, seven's in front. He's gonna go first and I will follow. Roger that, go ahead. I'm cleared to land right now. Right. Chance, you're cleared to land. The chipmunk's following you, so land a little bit long. Land me long. Ah, it's much easier to see that smoke at lower altitude. <laughs> did you tell me you wanted a left break? You said left break. Okay. I did say left break because we've got landing traffic on uh, the right side. So left break, not over the terminal. Uh, go over the B-52. Got a bus. All right, we're going to pitch out land. I don't know if that's normal for you to do a pitch out land type of uh, thing, but... Letterbird 78, cleared to land, runway 14, current winds, heads up, 060 at 20. Receiver 7060 at 20, clear to land 14. A-firm. All right, landing clearance. All right, so turning hard left with a couple of G's. That's why there's the breathing. Here we go. And then we're basically on downwind. Descending slowly. And then um, in a wide left turn, still descending, we're basically approaching final. Not a very long final. And then approaching the runway for uh, touchdown. Bingo. Bingo. Final wind check for Thunderbird 2 is a 090 at 15. There's quite a bit of crosswind, so we have the nose off our direction of flight. A bit of a sink. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> Mustang, uh, heads up. Zero seven zero at one seven. At seventy degrees off at one seven. And touchdown. Nice. Right. Chipmunk, where are you? Okay, I'm sorry, I forgot about you. Chipmunk, just hold your position. Let me get this next Thunderbird out of the way, and I'll scoot you across. And now uh, slowing down and eventually leaving the runway for the taxiway. Well, Marcus, you made it. Go ahead and uh, take your seat for me. Uh, Thunderbird, take your seat. Uh, 11 o'clock, follow him across the runway. Confirm the seat safe. Seat is safe. Got it. So as soon as you approach the ramp, the seat must be saved. So we did that as we kind of left the runway. And we're approaching our stand um, between the other Thunderbirds F-16s. All right. Well, Marcus, uh, it was a pleasure flying with you. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. This was wonderful. I mean, this was amazing. Yeah. Just turning dreams into realities. That's all, my friend. Yeah. was a bit hard to understand my voice here for some reason. But I was totally awestruck. This was just wonderful. And the G's weren't as bad as I had expected. The G's were not as bad, you said? They were not as bad. I mean, I mean, obviously they were strong. But I, 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 I thought that would train it more. I mean, I didn't know. But. Yeah. Well, that's good.
Those are boys to meet us back at home. Yep. So these guys are going to uh, finish their checks on the ground, yep. pop out to the left side, and then uh, we'll be shutting down the jet at that point. So yep. when that happens, uh, Seven will call for the shutdown, and we will just turn everything off. Shut her down. Because as Thunderbirds, we don't just start the engines synchronously, we also shut it down at the same time. <laughs> so after Jason had shut down the engine, he opened the canopy and uh, I took off my mask, removed the helmet and put it back onto the rail. And then with the help of the crew chief, I opened my lap belt, removed the hooks for the seat pack and got out carefully without banging my head into the canopy rail. Took off the harness and the G-suit, and uh, then there were lots of smiles. Um, <laughs> it was very emotional for me as well. We then all assembled in front of Seven's aircraft. About 20 of the Thunderbirds team were there, some of the officers, some of the enlisted personnel, crew chiefs, and we both, Rod and I, were both presented with a nice framed photo of the Thunderbirds um, aircraft, not people, <laughs> with signatures from all the 12 officers basically congratulating us for the flight. Then Seven talked a bit about Rod and why he was selected and thanked him for his service to the community. And then Jason talked a bit about me and Omega Tau and thanked me for my work uh, reaching out to the STEM community. It felt kind of strange uh, to me for them to thank us. So I thanked everybody back and uh, quickly narrated this 30-year dream of flying the F-16 and uh, how big of a deal this was for me. Um, we then thanked all present with a handshake. Jason and I found another golf cart that took us back to the ops building. I got back into my regular clothes and that's basically the end of the flight. So before we move on to the interview, there's a few things I want to kind of re-emphasize that I was surprised by. First of all, the fact that there's no real shoulder harness, it makes sense because you want to be mobile to be able to look behind you and stuff. But still, it's kind of strange that there is really this, only this one uh, strap that keeps you in the aircraft. <laughs> Second, the takeoff acceleration. I mean, it's one thing to get a 2G push in your back to accelerate, but here the acceleration just doesn't stop, right? It's not just like a strong acceleration to whatever, 100 kilometers. We accelerated to almost 700, right? Nah, 650. And so um, you can hear in the audio, I, I didn't edit anything there. Um, we engaged the afterburner after, I don't know, five, six seconds, uh, tires came off. A second after that, um, the gear had to go up to avoid overspeeding the gear. Uh, no flap retraction because the F-16 does that automatically. Um, and then a few seconds later, we reached 650 kilometers or whatever and, and pulled up uh, 60 degrees. So this was extremely impressive. About the G-suit, I always thought it's more or less kind of a 
set of discrete hoses, like lines of air. Um, but it feels more like a balloon. So when you sit in the relatively tight F-16 cockpit with your feet uh, under the panel and the G-suit inflates, you, you really feel <laughs> like you're in a balloon. That's the best way to, to explain that. And it's quite strange initially. But then, of course, you get used to it. And the fact that it presses from the outside in, um, it, it makes the strain maneuver much easier because you basically fight against the balloon pressing into you. Um, you remember from the flight that I did the breathing too fast? I, I think in one or two cases, I, I kind of fell behind the Gs. I wasn't kind of, I mean, I didn't G-log, but I wasn't able to do anything else except kind of staying awake. Um, when I flew myself, it was better. Uh, I, you know, but by that time we did a couple of maneuvers and I got used to the high G-loads. It's not quite comparable to the glider because it's much more sustained, even though uh, it might be the same number of Gs. I've I've done five and six in the glider, but not for as long. So yeah, it, it really feels after an hour like a workout. I was sweating after landing because I had to actively work uh, against the Gs. Also, everything has Gs, right? Every every pull-up has Gs. Every turn has Gs because the way you fly a non-boring turn is that you roll the aircraft to 90 degrees and then pull. So there's there's always Gs. Um, also, because the aircraft is so agile around the long axis, basically the roll rate is so high, um, they hardly do negative Gs, right? So if you if you pull up and then at some point level off again, you don't push to level off. You quickly turn around to inverted flight, pull to level flight, and go back to upright flight. That's, of course, something you don't do with aircraft like the gliders where uh, the roll rate is way too slow and you also... Uh, well, I guess you don't want to go inver inverted all the time. I guess with extras and these high-end MX-2s or, you know, these planes they use with the Red Bull Air Race, they, they do that too. So if you think about how quickly you can climb with this immense power, um, the flying we do with general aviation aircraft and in particular with gliders, it's not really three-dimensional. Like, we like to say that it's like a three-dimensional sport, right? Because you can climb and descend, but you, you can't really, right? You you climb very slowly with the thermals. The flying you do with a high-performance jet, and again, I guess, with uh, aircraft like extras and stuff, um, that's really three-dimensional because you can use the, the height or altitude dimension almost as you can the other dimensions. It's not true for kind of underpowered or non-powered airplanes. Again, I was surprised by the fact there is uh, several kilograms of force on the stick if you want to pull Gs. I kind of thought because it's fly-by-wire, it's all kind of easy and, you know, low force. Um, but it isn't, and I guess it makes sense because I don't want to just bump into the stick and, you know, make the aircraft do something with 5Gs. So you really have to be clear and unambiguous in telling the aircraft to pull Gs. It's also relatively quiet. So what you hear in the intercom in the flight recording is also what you hear basically when you're in the aircraft. There is almost no engine noise or wind noise. I guess you have the earplugs in your ear and then you have the helmet. So uh, it's really a quiet environment. It was really cool that we were up there with two F-16s and could do some formation flying. That is not usually part of the uh, orientation flights. Um, and it was very impressive to see this beautiful airplane very, very close. I mean, it was very close, um, three feet, 18 inches or whatever, but uh, very impressive. This was really the icing on the cake. So very, very cool. Um, 
And last but not least, <laughs> I actually should do this again because when you do this the first time, um, there's you, you're like really impressed. You're almost overloaded, you know, sensory overload. And so um, if one would ever get to do this again, you would know what's coming and you could much more consciously... Um, understand what's going on and maybe also you know look a bit more at instruments and and stuff like that finally um my own flying i was quite happy with the with the aileron roll and maybe with this half loop um thing but i should have flown a little bit more aggressively i still had too much of a glider mind um flying there so um if i <laughs> no unlikely but uh, if i ever would be able to do this again i would i would fly try to fly a bit more aggressively of course hindsight is 2020 all right so that's what i had in terms of things i uh took away from the flying and of course it it was great experience i'll get back to that in a few moments what also impressed me was the teamwork and the team itself um everything was very professional i guess also i mean that that's part of the show right they want to demonstrate the professionalism of the air, air force and they do this very impressively um we were greeted before the flight thank you afterwards the 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 ground crew was very well you know all the movements were orchestrated between the various people very cool the aircraft were you know there wasn't a speck of oil polished cleaned like it when i flew with uh, sofia the aircraft at nasa ames they were like that so there's the same kind of pride in in the work um it's a uh, it's very impressive you might want to go to the website because first of all i have maps of where fort wayne is in relation to this 12 mile and uh, hilltop um moas so you can orient yourself where we have been flying um, and there is, of course, videos. One um, is the full unedited uh, hot cam video, and the other one is a 20-minute summary, 25-minute summary that also has a video from the GoPro, which films me. Um, well, the <laughs> uh, point is it's, it's high def in color and not the slightly, um, well, not so great camera from the hut. All right, I guess I've talked enough for now. Let's move on to the interview with Jason Markson, Thunderbird 8. Hi, I'm Major Jason Markson, Thunderbird 8, the advanced pilot and narrator. And uh, civilian flyer. <laughs> and civilian flyer, that's right. We flew together yesterday. Absolutely, we sure did. It was great. Absolutely, <laughs> very much. Um, all right, so um, describe a bit your role. So my role is, like I said, advanced pilot and narrator. So the first part of that is really kind of 90, 95% of what I do. So as the advanced pilot, I'll leave typically a day ahead of the rest of the team, which is usually on a Wednesday. And I'll arrive at uh, whatever show site we're going to to have a meeting with uh, the show folks and just make sure everything is uh, button up all the last minute logistics are taken care of there's any last minute questions any sort of uh, details that I need to go over with the show site uh, just to make sure that they don't have any other questions so that when the team shows up the next day it's a very seamless transition from when they show up to when the show actually kicks off uh, so that is that's really kind of the bulk of my job the second part is to be the narrator for the demonstration so while the uh, demos going on one through six are flying 
I'm doing all the narration, so it's my velvety voice that you hear. Heard that yesterday. Uh, right now, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then the, the third part, and really kind of one of the cooler parts of my job, is I get to fly cool people like you. Uh, and it's really one of the times during the weekend that I get to fly, uh, and it's usually very exciting for me. Right, because when you do your advanced trip on Wednesday, you take public transportation, I guess. No, I actually fly my jet. <laughs> okay. I, I fly my jet. I was just joking. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I talked to the C-17 people before, and they mentioned that you go back to Nellis every time. I was kind of under the impression you're like going from A to B to C to D to show side to show side, but you're going back every time. That's correct, mostly. So uh, every once in a while throughout the season, mostly when we go to the east coast of the U.S., we will try to um, ah, right. team up those weekends. So we'll kind of do back-to-back -back shows. Uh, but typically, yeah, we pack everything up on a C-17 on Thursday, We fly out to the show, we do the show, we pack everything up Monday morning, and we leave, and we go back to Nellis. And then we got Tuesday, Wednesday, and we do it all over again. So it's actually pretty impressive, all the logistics and moving parts that go into it. Absolutely, yeah. What's in the C-17? Spare engine, I guess? Uh, like, what, what kind of cargo yeah. do we bring? Most of it is maintenance equipment. So we have our line trailer, which holds all the tools and uh, uh, necessary parts that go into that. Uh, we have our communications trailer that is in there, and that holds uh, everything that happens at Show Center, where we run our uh, our radios, our communications from the jets to us, ah, the mm -hmm. communications from us to the Airbus, uh, the narration uh, mixers, and all the radio equipment that goes in our communications trailer. Uh, we have a spare engine usually, uh, and we have a couple other pieces of equipment that go in there, and they have a, our, our 2T2s, or our, our load uh, plan technicians, they actually have a, a um, these pre-built plans mm -hmm. so they can do that for a C-17 or a C-130 and um, it just goes it goes right to the the pilots or the loadmasters who are uh, taking all the equipment onto the, the aircraft and so they know exactly where it goes they do this you know every week obviously yeah. so um, they're very very good at it and then uh, we put uh, about 60 people in there as well. All so right. they're not just transporting equipment, yeah. they're also transporting all the rest of our folks that come on. And, and you on get a show. different one every time. It's like a normal, a regular mission for those guys. It's not like you have one C-17 assigned for the whole season. Correct. Yeah, yeah we, we do not have a support aircraft that is right. specifically assigned to the Thunderbirds. Yeah. But yeah, so we have to basically request one every weekend. Yeah. Usually you get one, I guess. Usually, yeah, usually yeah. we get one. <laughs> uh, it makes it difficult to do the shows if we don't have that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so talk a bit about the team. How, how many aircraft? What's the team size, team structure? Right. So the team has 130 folks on it. There's 28 different job titles, job specialties uh, that are on the team. So of that 130 folks, there's 12 officers. Of those 12 officers, there's eight pilots. And of those eight pilots, there's six that fly the demonstration. Uh, the bulk of that 130 personnel are maintainers. Yeah. And then we have a handful of support uh, and different ops folks. So our aircrew flight equipment technicians who fit you up in your G-suit and your, your harness and your helmet uh, were there. You saw, obviously, our public affairs are taking pictures yeah. of everything. We have our, uh, our SARMs, our Squadron Aviation Resource Managers, and they basically keep track, keep a record of our entire flying mm -hmm. program. Um, we have uh, a handful of front office folks, so from our our resource advisor who handles all the money to some uh, other um, commander support staff that kind of take care of, of a lot of the paperwork that filters through the office. Mm -hmm. 
And how many aircraft? I think eight, right? Uh, so there are eight. Yeah, so we have eight aircraft that uh, we typically take on the road with us each week. I think we have right now, I think we have nine or ten assigned to us. Okay. And maybe another one on its way. But, yeah, we, we only have eight pilots that will fly the eight aircraft. So it's basically spares and maintenance scheduling around uh, exchanging active versus maintenance. Stuff Correct. Like that. Correct. Okay. How do you deal with the numbers? I mean, right now you're here, I think, with uh, aircraft one through eight, right? On the, you know, on the yeah. fuselage. Yeah, so, yeah. Do, uh, so like, do how you, do we... Yeah, do you change the numbers? Yeah, so actually yeah, our yeah. maintainers, uh, <laughs> so Texar and Schuster, who you met yesterday, yeah. he is uh, one, of, one of the guys that actually um, changes the numbers out. So we, we call it Gerber. Uh, it's yeah. basically a decal that right. goes on the side of the plane. Yeah. Uh, and so our maintainers, uh, they're prepared for any changes that happen. And part of that is bringing extra numbers, extra names right. okay. on the jets so right. that when, if someone has to step to a spare or they have their, you know, their jet has a malfunction on the ground and they have to get out and go to a different like aircraft. Yesterday. That's, yep, like yesterday. Everything's ready to go. They start prepping that by taking a new decal and applying it. Oh, basically that on, in real time. When yeah, they, oh, oh. real time. So they, <laughs> they apply that decal, they apply the name, so that when the crowd sees it, it's the correct name and correct number. As long as they don't look for the serial on the tail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, cool. Didn't expect that part. Um, is the F-16 somehow modified from the regular one, except for the paint? Yeah, so the paint job, obviously, that's kind of the biggest one. Uh, the other modifications that we have are, um, so there's a smoke oil system that yep. routes some smoke uh, oil piping from um, essentially right behind the cockpit where typically the gun barrel would go. That's now where the smoke oil is stored. So the gun is removed. Yes, correct. And that smoke oil has a, a piping that goes to the back of the exhaust and uh, the smoke oil kind of shoots into the exhaust and the exhaust burns that hot uh, white smoke. Yeah, okay. That's, that's all there is. In well, the so in part, well, so part of that system is there's a, uh, a switch that arms the smoke mm -hmm. uh, and then some of the in-flight controls are modified so that uh, there's, um, there's like, I, I don't know if you saw it in the back seat yesterday, but there, there's a couple of... Uh, straws that are kind of extending switches so that mm -hmm. you don't have to look down at the switch. Ah. So you can mm -hmm. just kind of change feel that them. without, uh, yeah, based on feel without having to look at it. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a, a manual stopwatch that sits just to the left of the HUD mm -hmm. that's in the this the Thunderbird version of the F-16 and that uh, our solos typically will use that to set their hacks to, you know, make sure they're Yeah, I'll talk correct. about that later. Yeah. Um, so how how does a typical show season go? Or I mean, show season is basically summertime. I don't know between April, September, or something. So we we typically start in March, March. mid March, uh, is kind of when it kicks off, and we go all the way through till about mid November. Basically every weekend, pretty much. And in the in the off season, then that's when you do training, or how how does that work? I mean, when do new people learn how this formation flying works? Good question. Uh, so it's a lot of training. So basically from November through March, that's our training season. And we really only have three months because there's holidays in there and yeah, everything. Yeah. So we really only have three months to, to get all these new guys trained. Uh, it takes upwards of 80 to 90 sorties mm -hmm. for them to, to get that proficient. So you start off uh, in a two-ship formation uh, learning, um, you know, really basic uh Rolls and kind of whifferdills, if you will. What um, whifferdills? <laughs> whifferdill. It's kind. Of, it's wing work. 
Okay. Uh, it's wing work, so we're essentially uh, you're you're kind of you're not really doing chandelles, but you're um, you know climbing up, you're turning, rolling ninety degrees of bank, coming yeah. back down, turning the other direction. So you learn that uh, at a normal close formation position, and yeah. then you start to work it in closer. So our spread formation is typically what uh, you'll see in the demonstration, yeah. where our guys are flying three feet to eighteen inches away from each other. Yeah. So it will eventually uh, go from two ship. And then we'll start. At, we'll add another jet in there, and then okay. you know, eventually our diamond will come together. We'll have all four aircraft yeah. in there. So you're you're basically starting it in terms of getting closer together, and in terms of building up aircraft. Correct. It's a it's a whole building block yeah, yeah. approach to it. So yeah. we there's uh, I guess certain um, milestones that we're looking to meet. So the diamond, when the diamond gets together, that's a huge milestone. And then yeah. when we finally get all six aircraft or our delta comes together, yeah. that's another huge milestone. We have cake. It's pretty big, yeah. <laughs> big deal. So it's what people deal. might perhaps not appreciate, if you fly a regular aileron roll, then basically what you do is you put the stick to the left and you wait, basically. Pretty much, Especially yeah. in an F-16 where the computer helps a little bit. Yes. But if you have a formation where the whole formation should basically turn around its axis, then this means that the aircraft that's on the wing, they have to basically go up a little bit. and So it, it's a different... Thing to fly, and I think that's one of the challenges to keep your position and kind of fly these extended rolls, not just the turning around your own axis. Yeah, it's essentially kind of a barrel roll it's a bar uh, yeah. that you're doing on the on the outside. So, boss is leading it, and he's rolling his airplane around his own axis, he, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then, so you know, I, I think the toughest thing is our our number two position, who he's kind of really almost pushing at, at some point in there once he gets you know halfway through the roll or something yeah he's kind of almost pushing over and rolling left and putting a little bit of rudder in there just to stay in position yeah through that entire roll but yeah everybody i mean as you get further and further out and it, so that's like it's our, more our number two position and then you know currently our left solo number six you know she's even further on that line so it's even it's even more of a push and that's something you can't i guess really train without the formation itself because if you do that alone you have no reference you have no means of figuring out if what you do makes any sense exactly it, yeah. it's very very difficult to learn when you don't have another aircraft yeah. there so uh, that's why when our delta comes together it's a very big deal yes because we're still we're still introducing new maneuvers essentially uh, at that point point. and do you have basically new people every year yeah, so half of our officers will trade out every year. So the mm -hmm. officer job is a two-year job. Right. So basically six officers will trade out every year. And that keeps up the continuity and makes sure there's some experience on the team. It gives uh, uh, the pilots to have an instructor for some of the new guys. So this year we, uh, we just hired uh, four new pilots, three of those being our demo pilots. And so a new two, a new four, and a new six. So those three pilots will come in. And we'll start training them up, uh, just like I talked about. We'll yeah. start in two ship, get to four ship. Eventually, all six of them will come together. Is there any expectation that you, as a non-formation officer pilot, will move into the formation flying at some point? Is that part of the deal, or is that could that happen, or how that? How that no, no. So I'll never fly in the demo, okay. uh, which, is, which is okay with me. Yeah. Uh, I love doing the narration. I love yeah. being the number eight pilot. Number seven, he is our director of operations. He handles all of the ground duties whenever the demonstrations going on he's the safety observer whenever the demonstrations right. going yeah. on so he critiques the yep, every he every grades show the show yeah uh, he's actually he's got a very busy job. he's probably the, one of the busiest guys on this team mm -hmm. um or the busiest position rather and so uh, I, i'll never fly in the demonstration now sometimes when we fly back 
cross country or when we fly out cross country, uh, we'll do what's called a super delta where <laughs> we have one through six, right? They make yeah. up the delta and then you bring seven and eight in on the wings. Yeah. It's kind of rare sometimes to see when we come back, but that's about as close as I'll get to flying formation cool. off of them. I thought we did some formation flying yesterday and at least for me, it looked we did. pretty close. We did, yeah. So we, that's the, you, you got lucky yesterday. Yeah, yeah. We actually had another jet out there yeah. that we got to fly formation with. And so I, seven I, went up and I went up. Yeah. And it was it was a lot of fun because that that usually doesn't happen. Yeah. So you got to see a little bit of extra yeah. about yeah. what we do. Yeah, and I, I joked about it that this was the first time when I could use my iPhone without a telephoto lens to do air to air pictures because the aircraft was big enough and you know filling the sensor. <laughs> yep, we were pretty close. Uh, pretty we, three, cool. we were at least three feet away from each other. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's in the regulation somewhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mm -hmm. get it. Okay, good. So, um, again, going back to regular formation flying, it's typical, I guess, that you that you take some reference points on the other aircraft and then try to keep that aligned with some of a reference point on, on your own airframe, right? It's kind of basically Correct. the idea. Correct. Yeah, so when we fly our spread formation, we essentially use the wingtip of the jet we're flying off of, and we place that between two points on the uh, on that aircraft, and that's kind of the reference that we use. Mm -hmm. And you do quite a bit, again, I observed this yesterday, quite a bit with the throttle. Lots of relatively small, but lots of corrections to keep the forward-backward position. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, like you said, it's a lot of tiny movements. Sometimes yeah. it's, sometimes you almost move the throttle because it's more comfortable to move the throttle than not move the throttle. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I don't fly in the demonstration. I'm sure yeah. the guys that fly in the demonstration are probably way better at it than than I am. So uh, they probably don't move the throttle as much. Uh, but I'm trying uh, to I see. I'm mm -hmm. trying to anticipate all the changes in, yeah. in heading and airspeed and all that stuff. And yeah. you know, yesterday it was a little windy, a little bumpy. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to just keep up with that. Yeah. And there's also quite a bit of talking, like left turn now, steeper, yeah. stuff like that. Do you know if they do that in the in the formation as well? They do. They, yeah, okay. They absolutely do that in the formation. Boss will talk about where he's going. So he'll talk about if he's turning. He'll talk about if he's moving his power. Yeah. And that's really just to give the wingman uh, a sense of, of what they're doing so they can anticipate it, yeah. so they can stay locked in formation position the entire time. Of course, they, they, they do know the, the, the program, right? It's the same show every time i guess unless the weather forces you to compromise in some way it is the same show it's the same routine uh depending on which show we're doing based on weather but um every show site is different sure. you know there's different obstacles there's different visual uh, reference points that you're using so boss uh it's, you know, there could be a lot of crosswind it could be i right. mean there's all sorts yeah, of yeah, things yeah. that go on right yeah. so uh, boss is doing his best to anticipate or to tell the wingman what are going what's going on Uh, with his throttle, with the stick, with his pitch, where he's turning, all that mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, so the wingmen are, they, they can't look forward. In fact, if you ever see any uh, mm -hmm. cockpit footage of, um, of what they're doing on our website, mm -hmm. uh, you'll see that they're just locked. Right. Either looking left, looking right, or yeah. looking straight forward because uh, they, they can't take their eyes off boss. Yeah, yeah. So you do have weather limits for the show, right? I guess if the, the cloud base is too low, you probably at some point can't fly correct so it really i mean it it really depends right so um our high show we need about 88,000 to 8,500 8, feet um mm -hmm. but you know that de that depends like where the clouds are at because we we may have it could be scattered at 8,500 mm -hmm. but maybe the clouds over show center aren't scattered maybe they're more clear right so it's then all of our over the top stuff we can do Uh, so it kind of depends on that point. Uh, for the 
for the minimum show that we need, we need at least a 2,000 foot ceiling. Okay. So we can do a flat show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that takes away all, all the over to the top maneuvers, but yeah. we still get to put a show on. Yeah. And actually, that's actually one of the more challenging things to do for our guys because they don't have that vertical maneuvering anymore to fix positions specifically for our solo pilots right because they do a lot of uh, vertical maneuvering yeah so um you know any of the delta maneuvers uh, are a little bit more difficult when it comes to our flat show Hmm. are there wind or turbulence limits I could imagine that at some point that impacts how close you can form it. Yeah, so we it's the same wind restrictions that we have for the F-16. Oh, okay. So, you know, as far as crosswind limits, like we can't do formation takeoffs greater than 50 knots of crosswind. Uh, greater than 25 knots, we can't even take off or land. Mm-hmm. So it's the same limits there. But as far as uh, at altitude, uh, we don't have any limits up okay. there. So let's talk a bit about the, the demonstration program itself. Um, What are some of the speeds and G-loads? I mean, I'm pretty sure you don't pull 9 Gs in the Delta formation, right? So Correct. Correct, yeah. So the Delta, really the 9 Gs, that's uh, mostly, it's mostly on our solo pilots, but yeah. whenever our uh, diamond breaks up, so when they do the high bomb burst and the four jets go in different directions, that's actually, you'll see uh, some of our diamond pilots pulling 7 to 9 Gs mm-hmm. uh, for their repositions. Right, yeah. Our solo pilots... Sneak pass is usually one of the higher Gs, the max G, uh, or the min radius turn, the max G turn, if you will. Uh, you'll pull 7 to 9 Gs in that. Uh, so there's high G loadings um, throughout the demonstration. But most of the time, when our diamond is flying together, it's between 3 to 4, sometimes 5 Gs. Yeah, that's what I thought. Not just because of the G load, but also because of the, let's I mean, G loading implies, obviously, a, a quick change in direction or you know, right. alpha. And so you you probably don't want to do that if you're close together. It's more like a smooth mm-hmm. kind of movement, which isn't really that high G, I suspect. Right, right. But they are flying around four to 500 knots. Yeah. So anytime you sure. change, Everything is right, G. then that G is going to increase. Yeah. And, and yeah. so it's actually, it's almost more difficult, maybe not more difficult, but it's uh, more trying, more taxing on your body to just hold three to four Gs over a very long extended period of time yep. you know yesterday we pulled nine g's for maybe three to five seconds yeah the diamond will sometimes pull three to four g's for upwards of 15 20 seconds sometimes mm-hmm. yeah um there's not much negative stuff well different question my impression is that military flying in general doesn't do a lot of negative stuff i mean if you go over a mountain ridge when you do low level flying you don't push it over you 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 invert and pull it over um, and that's probably also to see the mountain, but also to avoid negative Gs. Is my impression correct? Typically. Yeah. I, I won't say there's there's no negative no, Gs, but, but there, yeah, typically we try not to do negative Gs. Yeah. And and that's also true, I guess, for most of the show, except for, as I said before, when uh, the, the in the Delta, the outer aircraft, they, of course, have to push down depending on exactly how they fly. But there's not a right. lot of specific negative G maneuvers. Really, though, I mean, the, only the negative G maneuvers are when the jets are inverted. Yeah, so sure. That's when they're minus inverted, one. inverted, yeah. flying straight and level. Uh, number five is mostly inverted. So he's doing some negative G. There's a point where number four is inverted and, and potentially um, pushing to negative G. Yeah. But they're not really getting over negative one, one and a yeah. half, yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah. What does an air show have to do to get you 
as Thunderbirds? How do you decide? Uh, that's actually kind of out of our hands. So ah, okay. typically, PA headquarters will will look at um, airshow sites and determine where we are going. Right. So okay. we have a little bit of a say uh, after they kind of choose if there's open dates. Uh, we can apply to go to different different places, kind of. Uh, it has to get all has to get approved through uh, headquarters yeah. at that point. Well, I read your operations manual. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of fun things in it. One I think is it costs an airshow six thousand dollars, <laughs> which is a funny number because obviously it can't cover the costs, right? Um, yeah. It's kind of a token fee. I yeah. found that funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know exactly where all the dollar amounts come yeah. from. But. <laughs> Um, and then there's also a lot of detail in it, like the, the airshow site has to provide a hangar for you to put the airplanes. You have to be able to, I don't know, you have to get police escorts to get, you know, with your, when you drive from the hotel here, you need to get through the crowd and stuff. Mm -hmm. It says something about how many rental cars. and It's a very detailed manual. So the manual speaks, sounds like experience, like this went wrong back then, so we need to write this into the manual so that it happens anymore. Yeah, a lot, funny. a lot of it comes. Yeah, a lot of it comes from experience. What yeah. has happened previously? Best practices, really. Yeah. What we've seen work the best uh, in the past. So, yeah, it's absolutely built on experience. And as as the advanced pilot, I have to know that support manual so that when I show up, uh, I can you know pick parts from that manual yeah. and talk to people about be be knowledgeable about why some of the things are the way they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely a challenge for sure because. Right. I, I know we're big we're a big piece to the overall air show puzzle. I mean you're usually the highlight when you go somewhere unless the blues I should say that. Oh um. no. Oh this interview is over. <laughs> is there this little friendly rivalry between Yeah, two yeah teams? there's definitely a friendly rivalry, you know. They're Navy, we're Air Force. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day we're both doing the same thing. We're on the same team sure. trying yeah. to trying to do uh, the same stuff. They fly different airplanes than we do, so their show is built a little differently than ours. Um, for you know, to take the advantages of their aircraft yeah. versus our aircraft. So, um, but they have a very impressive show, and yeah. the, we're good friends with those guys. In so, fact, so you we meet did, them on air shows. And yeah, hang I mean, out. We we did a joint show oh. uh, last month in D.C. at Andrews. With joint show, you mean you happened to be at the same air show, or did you do something together specifically? We were we were at the same air show okay. scheduled, and so that okay. hadn't happened for you know more than ten years. Oh, I see. Previously. Okay, so it's okay. it's pretty rare to happen because typically. Uh, if you think about it from a, a macro perspective, right. yeah. you, know, you want you want to be able to put your recruiting pieces in yeah. certain areas, right? Well, if you have them both in the same area, well, some other areas aren't being right. covered. So typically, we're never in the same spot, but we happen to be scheduled at the, at the same location, and it ended up being a it was great, uh, great publicity for for everyone. It was great recruitment. Right party. Um, we had well, we had a lot of fun just being able to learn from each other. Right, because we do different things. We speak a slightly different language, you know, Air Force versus Navy. So being able to sit down with those guys and just kind of, hey, what do you what do you do when you're mm -hmm. doing your debrief? What do you do when you're inverted and doing all the, What are you looking at? Right. And so yeah. there, they we got to fly with them. They got to fly with us. Okay. Kind of see the differences and the nuances and of, of all of the shows and the differences yeah. of the shows. I, it's now that you say it, it's obvious that you usually aren't at the same air shows, but yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. When you arrive at a new show site, mm -hmm. um, I think I heard um, somewhere that Thursday afternoon 
at three, somebody was doing a site survey flight. Yep. So when I so when I arrive usually on Wednesdays, I'll do a real. I saw your landing, by the way. Did I, was, you? I happened oh, to be at the airport, just looking around, and just saw you. All right. In. <laughs> was it was it okay? Was it I didn't okay see landing. the landing. Just oh, the approach. Okay, got it, got it, got it. So <laughs> approach, okay, approach is good. Pro- yeah, that looked fine. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, you flew with me, so it must have been all right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when I arrive on Wednesday. Uh, I do a real quick arrival survey just to preliminary look at the markers, make sure the markers are good. So there are specific ground any... markers. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure those are in in place and looking good, and then um, any sort of hazards that I just notice uh, that I can pass along to the guys. So when when the rest of the team shows up, so when one through six show, show up, they'll do a full up arrival survey. Uh, it's twofold, right? It's one so they can get a look at the airspace, the TFR, the airport to make sure they can run their lines. Boss can look at any sort of visual references he's looking for. Our solos can look at their hacks. Our uh, our wingmen two, three, and four, they can all look at the their bomb burst lines that they're running. Uh, any sort of anomalies that you know someone picks up uh, that we haven't seen before or something that'll help them out. It's very helpful for them to do that. So um, the whole team does the survey? Flight. Yep, okay. the whole team does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second part is to let the town know that we're here. Yeah. You know, we put on a, a yeah. little bit of a mini show, kind of, yeah. uh, to let everybody know. Bring bring a little bit of noise, a little bit of yeah. excitement. It worked. I heard yeah. it. Everybody, yeah, everybody heard it, right? Yeah. So, again, going back to the to the show, um, jumping around a bit, um, you talked about ground markers and hacks. Yes. So, I guess you have a, a baseline that defines the primary orientation of the program which is probably a runway usually i would suspect and then you have i think it's called show center like a middle point and that's where everything centers around is that kind of my impression correct yep uh, for the most part so show center we we build the whole uh, show site really around show center so show center is where we're trying to uh, get our hits exactly at show center mm-hmm. uh, the diamond's trying to roll you know perfectly over show center our solos are trying to do their opposing passes perfectly at show center so there's there's that aspect of it, um, but that's typically where the TFR starts. Is TFR? Show the temporary flight restriction. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. whenever we're flying, there's a five mile flight uh, restriction yeah. that's going around. That starts at uh, show center. Mm-hmm. Um, but our, the show line will also include show center through it. So the show line is essentially a two mile line that runs from you know one mile. Uh, to the left of show center, one mile to the right of show center, and that is how you define uh, the show line. And that, yes, is a runway. It's a, a well-defined road. Uh, sometimes it we're over a beach, right? So we're over mm-hmm. the water. Right. Um, so the show line is only defined by a couple of boats, right? And then uh, the entire aerobatic box uses that as well. So you essentially take the two-mile show line, and then on either side you have you know 12 to fifteen hundred feet. And that's how you define the show box mm-hmm. or the aerobatic box. Mm-hmm. So in that, uh, at least according to the FAA, you can only do aerobatics inside that box. That box, yeah. Right. Talk a bit through the show, through the various maneuvers you fly so people have an impression. of. And, of course, I obviously recommend to check out YouTube, right? I'll link a few videos, but yeah, yeah. still, just to give them an impression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so typically, let's say it's a clear weather day. We're doing a high show, yeah. our, most, our most exciting show. Uh, what will happen is we'll have... Uh, a, a short ground show beforehand as our pilots get out to the jets our maintainers are out there it's a lot of crisp movements very precise movements 
and we'll start the jets up, make sure they're good to go. Then they'll stop them you. synchronously at the same time. Yep. They'll start them. <laughs> Our boss will go, start one, ready now. Yeah. And everybody will start the jet at the same time. Yeah. Canopies will come down at the same time. Uh, they'll taxi out. They'll get to the end of the runway. And our diamond pilots will take the runway, and they're going to do a formation, a four-ship formation takeoff right into a formation loop. Mm-hmm. So they'll do a loop on takeoff, and uh, they'll uh, turn out of that. And then once they're once they're clear, our solos will take off. Our uh, our left solo number six will do an aileron roll uh, after she lifts off, and then our right solo number five right now uh, will take off full afterburner as soon as he possibly can climb uh, straight up or almost straight up and then turn over and do a split S maneuver right. back the other direction. Yeah. So Quick that's intermission. Yeah. You did do you did training yesterday, training flight. Yes. But you didn't uh, take off in the formation. Uh, the the diamond? The diamond. I mean, yeah, correct. So because the crosswind limits prevented ah, the formation takeoff. Right. Okay. That's why. So when the when the crosswinds are out of limits, uh, we have to take off single ship right. and so okay. the diamond will just rejoin. Okay. So hopefully they're not like that yeah. today. Intermission end. Intermission end. <laughs> yep. So uh, five will clear the line, and then our diamond will come back around for their clover loop opener is what it's called. So basically from back to front, right over show center, our diamond will fly over, uh, smoke on, and it's kind of the – it kind of sets the tone for the entire rest of the demonstration. So they'll do a clover loop op- opener, which essentially means they'll go into a loop, and then at the top of it they'll start a left-hand turn mm-hmm. to finish in a, a clover leaf essentially. Uh, and then they'll go out. And then our solos do a handful of different um, opposing passes. So they have a knife edge pass. They have an inverted pass. Uh, they have a, a mirror uh, thing where one is inverted, yep, the other one isn't. Yep. So they have uh, they call that their calypso pass, right. where yeah, five is inverted and six uh, sits directly uh, beneath him. And uh, so they do a handful of those. Our solos do a uh, they do an opposing pass where they just climb up and then do a split S mm-hmm. back, and then they finish that off with a knife edge pass. Uh, then our our diamond will uh, come back around. They'll do various different uh, loops and rolls and bottom up passes. So uh, they'll come around for a, a diamond, uh, a trail to diamond uh, bottom up pass or bup. And that trail to diamond bup means they're starting uh, in a trail formation. Essentially, all the jets are stacked one through four. They're all stacked up mm-hmm. uh, on top of each other. And so you know that one point they're three feet away from each other laterally and now they're all you know three feet to 18 inches vertically uh, stacked so it's it's actually uh you got to have a lot of focus to make sure you maintain that position because yeah. you have a jet directly beneath you yeah right yeah. so the boss will uh, lead the formation he'll send them to trail and then he'll bring them back around for this bottom-up pass and essentially as they turn to uh, line up with show center and make this kind of arcing turn to show center, he'll send them back to diamond, and it's a very impressive maneuver. I've sat back seat for our, um, for these shows in on the wingman side and also uh, the number four, the slot pilot, so left wing and then the slot pilot. Uh, and so, essentially, what happens is boss is turning. He'll say diamond ready now. Both our wingman two and three will kick their rudders out. And they'll move out opposite direction. At the same time, our slot pilot is moving up and into the slot Mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a very impressive maneuver because everybody's kind of doing something at the same time, and they all get into position all at the same time. Yeah. Um, So it's it's impressive. And it's even more impressive when they do their trail to diamond roll because they do that roll, right? Boss pulls the nose up starts the roll sends them back to diamond and so now they all have to move at the same time but you're adding another 
dynamic in there because you're rolling at yep. the same time. Yep. So, you know, three has to roll more. Yeah. Two has to almost push a little bit, and then four is kind of rolling uh, to match the boss at that same time. Yeah. So they do various uh, maneuvers like that. Yeah, um, and those couldn't work without talking, right? Because you have to make sure you start at exactly the same time, and everybody also does the right, let's say, speed of maneuver. Like if one changes more quickly than the other one, then it's bad. Correct. So, yeah. so then eventually our, our solos will rejoin with the diamond, create our delta formation, and then they'll do a delta bottom-up pass. They'll do a delta roll and a delta loop. Yeah. Um, all again, it's a, it's this it's a looks the same because it's a roll, it's a loop, but it's it's totally different because you now you have two other aircraft. The speeds yeah. are a little bit different. The altitudes yeah. that yeah. you have to maintain are different. The G loading is different, and all six aircraft um, are locked in, flying super precise, very focused, and they look great every time they do those maneuvers. So it's very impressive. Another intermission. Um, you as the narrator, um, so. So when we do our kind of air show back home, mm -hmm. um, we notice that people don't really care whether there is, you know, a, a, an amateur doing some loops and rolls with the pits, or more or less a, you know, German aerobatics champion with an extra 300. He does more G's. The the, the rolls are faster. It's crisper. The lines are better. But people don't don't care as long as it's loud and kind of tumbles around. I'm asking this because do you tell? the audience what you just told me that it's different with six ships and it's not just the same thing before but with, but with, with two more aircraft so how do you how do you transport these challenges to people it's a good question so the script i didn't write the script right. the script's been written for years and i've just kind of tweaked it for my personal preferences now within the script there are different portions in there that i try to convey how difficult some of these maneuvers are yeah. to the to the people Uh, whether they're listening or not, that's that's what I'm trying to do. So sure. when the Delta, uh, when the solos rejoin and the Delta is together during the show, I talk about like, hey, as our boss maneuvers the six F-16s, try to envision how difficult it is to maneuver all these aircraft at 500 to 1,000 feet above the ground uh, without anybody getting out of position. And every time they pass in front of you, they all look perfectly in position nobody's out smoke's on i mean everything just looks precise so it's it's tough to convey for sure yeah but maybe that's good that it doesn't look um that it always looks that 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 great you know that's almost makes it look uh, easy. it makes it look easy yeah. to do And that's, I guess that's kind of the point, right? So people sure. just kind of naturally... And it's obviously, if you see that, it's obviously impressive. I think everybody goes away with that kind of impression, clearly. But kind of the nuances, which I think are also very interesting, at least for a pilot. Um, yeah. you, you get some of those questions on the autograph line afterwards. Right, and, yeah. you know, you ask, hey, what's your favorite maneuver? And everybody kind of says this. And sometimes people ask, you know, how, how is it flying uh, this maneuver... And, and that's really your opportunity to kind of talk right. about it. In our, in our uh, brochure or our little handbook that we hand out for autographs, yeah. Yeah. it lists the different maneuvers in there, and it kind of shows uh, what people are doing. Yeah. Um, but they, there's obviously a, a lot more to it than just getting an airplane and you know, <laughs> yeah, throwing so. the throttles around yeah. and pulling the, the stick around and yeah. all that stuff. Two more questions about that part. Um, most of it's probably all looking out and by feel there's not much looking at instruments in this part of the show when people do formation flying correct yeah, yeah. They, 
speeds like, maybe. Yeah, like I was saying, those that our wingmen are just locked in. Yeah, they exactly. don't they don't really look at uh, anything because they can't. Now our solo pilots are looking a little bit more at their instruments because they're trying to make sure their timing's correct and, and everything like that. But yeah, as far as our wingmen go, they're not they're not looking at their instruments for yeah. the most part. So one one of the maneuvers is that you have the two solos coming from both sides and then hopefully exactly at show center, both uh, go 90 degrees and pass belly to belly, probably relatively close, although it's hard to see from 90 degrees off. Yes. Part of the trick, I guess. Um, that is where the stopwatches come in, I guess. I mean, how do you coordinate that this works so precisely? Yeah, so like I said, uh, 80 to 90 sorties of, of training, right? <laughs> yeah. So whenever our solos go out and they do their practices, uh, they use their stopwatches, they say, uh, let's hack now. So they'll hack And when our lead solo is calling for that to happen, our solo pilots are trying are timing it so that they fly over their hacks at Hack the exact, is what? exactly same time. So that's really a short for a reference point that our solos okay. are using over the ground, our, mm -hmm. our hack point. Mm -hmm. They're trying to uh, be over this a particular point in space at the exact same time. And they hack their watches so that the next call, when... Uh, our lead solo again calls his next distance or wherever he's at. Our opposing solo can go. Okay, I am. If I'm if I'm right on, I don't have to change my airspeed. Yeah. Uh, if I'm off, I either need to accelerate, I need to slow down, either I need to tell you know the lead solo that I'm slightly off or, or whatnot. But uh, so it's there's a lot of math and very mm -hmm. very quick thinking because they're they're flying at four. 500 knots yeah. while they're doing this and, and so there's, there's a lot of quick thinking that's going on also some precision I guess that you're able to hold speed precisely because otherwise the timing gets off yes yes correctly and you know all these maneuvers uh, that they're doing that they're training for they all have speeds associated with them and yeah. they're, they're different depending on which one you're doing Uh, but they're shooting for that target airspeed every single time, that target airspeed, target altitude. So it's not just airspeed that they're looking for. It's also a vertical component. Right. Yeah. And our solos are flying essentially two to 300 feet above the ground. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I could imagine that uh, the frequency becomes quite busy if everybody's uh, broadcasting their cues and, you know, their hack times and, ah, speed up, I'm a bit too slow or whatever. Um, are there kind of rules who can talk when to avoid potential chaos? Yes, absolutely. So that's kind of part of the show, uh, almost internally to us. Mm -hmm. uh, boss is typically the one who owns the frequency, and our lead solo owns the other frequency. Oh, you have two. So we have a UHF and a VHF right. that we use. Yeah. Uh, so boss owns one, the lead solo owns the other, and then there's certain responses that our wingmen have to give mm -hmm. uh, whenever boss says something or our lead solo says something. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it, they deconflict. Mm -hmm. Talk a bit about the F-16 specifically for this kind of job. Now, I got a little bit of an Im very little bit of an impression yesterday when I was able to take the stick. Um, it feels like it can be controlled rather precisely. Um, do you know if that was part of the selection of the F-16 or was it just selected because you have enough of them and also it looks nice? It's a very beautiful airplane. Yeah. I think, uh, well, I think a bunch of different things went into, you're talking about when we transitioned to the F-16 back in the 90s? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was in grade school at that point, so I don't know exactly what decisions <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. went into it, but uh, I, I think the F-16, you know, the Thunderbirds throughout the years have flown the frontline fighter aircraft to display to the public, Yeah. right? And uh, at the time, the F-16 was frontline, you know, F-16 was there, the F-15 uh, was there, and the A-10 was, was kind of there as well. Yeah. And so I think... Um, You know, I think the F-16 was a nice 
uh, aircraft to be used based on you know how how tightly it could fly in formation. The F-15 is a pretty big aircraft. The F-16 is a little bit smaller. Yeah. The F-16 has the you know side stick con- digital flight controls. So um, it's you know as far as like the smoothness of the yeah. flight controls, it's all computer controlled. Uh, so I think all all those different variables uh, went into that, and uh, we also have probably more F-16s than any other yeah. aircraft. A- and it's I guess also cheaper because it only has one engine. I mean, if you did F- F-15s. <laughs> I so, yeah, yeah. I, yeah that's, I mean, it's a factor. Yeah, fuel fuel's a factor. Fuel, but correct. We only have one engine. Yeah. Um, so, I mentioned the fact that I'll talk to you guys to somebody who flies for the Australian Air Force and a few years ago went through the test pilot school in the U.S. Um, and got to fly the F-16. And she told me that I am supposed to ask you about the trim setting in the F-16 for this kind of formation flying. There seems to be something particular. Yeah. Well, so the so the jet seeks 1G. So it tries to trim out the jet, so it's always seeking 1G. But yeah. uh, typically when we fly the formation, we usually trim forward. So we have uh, uh-huh. call it a heavy stick, if right. you will. Right. So you trim forward. Yeah. So um, what that does is it allows you to make finer yeah. movements. Because you the do the controls. control and not yeah. the... Yeah. 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 So, But essentially it also gives you an out. Um, meaning right. like, you know, a safety factor. So if you were to let go of the stick, yeah. the jet would push forward. So if yeah. you're going over the top or you're doing a roll or something like that and you kind of and you let go a little bit, the, the jet will kind of push forward and get you away from the formation. Yeah, yeah makes sense. I also could imagine that the uh, unobstructed canopy without the, what is it called, the forward bow that you have in the F-15, you know, right. whatever it's called, um, isn't there. Yeah, correct. The F-16 is one single canopy. There's yep. no canopy bow in it, so that definitely gives you uh, Im- improved visibility. Yeah, yeah. The F-16 does not have any force feedback on their stick. I learned yesterday that you have to pull quite a bit to pull a bit of G. I was surprised by the heaviness of the stick. So is the fact that there is no real force feedback an, an issue for this kind of flying, or did you get used to it like F-16 in general? You know, I think, uh, so before I flew the F-16, I flew the T-38, yep. which doesn't have a flight, uh, digital flight control. Yep. It's center stick, um, you know, poison rods and all that sort of thing. So more of a traditional yep. um, flight control system. But uh, I think it's really easy to get comfortable with the F-16 flight controls. So, uh, you know, maybe when you're, f- you're first starting out flying it, uh, you probably have that same response that you did yesterday and be like, God, oh, it's really tough to tell how much I'm pulling, but after a while, after you gain some experience in it, it, it becomes second nature. You, you start to feel uh, sort of the G increase yeah. uh, on, on your body in the G suit. Right, that's and also that's, kind of force feedback. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's what you start to, you know, in, in a typical yeah. uh, flight controls, you maybe force feedback based on how much you're moving the stick yep. or the buffeting on the wings right. well the F-16 doesn't really buffet it did a little bit when we went over the top yesterday yeah a little, a little bit, bit of a, little, a little bit when you get yeah. really slow at, yeah. at some AOAs yeah. uh, but uh, for the most part it doesn't really do that and then yeah I think after a while you just you start to feel the the G kind of build yeah. and that's your feedback right okay that becomes your feedback <laughs> instead of how much you're moving the stick when I talked to Jan Stahl at Nellis um, mm-hmm. about the F-16 he said that the good thing is that you don't have to think about how much you stress the airplane. You just pull, and if the flight computer decides to give you only 7Gs because you're too fast, or then it doesn't matter. You just pull fully. Whereas in the F-15, which he flew before, he basically had to do these mental calculations. How fast am I? How much Gs can this jet deliver? And how much can I pull to get those? 
So that's clearly an advantage. On the other hand, he said you, you have to look much more at the HUD to see some of the data because the jet doesn't give you quite that much feedback. So, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. That's yeah. correct. Um, so the, the fact that, that um, I was able to fly with you, um, I mean, obviously for me it was very special, but you do this with most every air show, right, that you fly civilians. Typically, uh, it's not always civilians, but typically, yeah, we'll, we fly uh, hometown hero flights, we fly media flyers, um, national media, and so what What does that qualify? Um, you know, our public affairs could probably talk a little bit more in detail to that, but the gist of it is that uh, for our hometown heroes, it's typically someone who's kind of gone above and beyond the call of duty, uh, really, really affected a community or someone's life. Um, we've had law enforcement officers, firemen. Like yesterday. Uh, yep, yep, we had a law enforcement officer. So we had the other day, or sorry, not the other day, but uh, another show, we flew, I think it was someone who, you know, saved a boy's life from, from drowning. And yeah. I think it was a police officer who did that. Uh, so, you know, obviously that guy did amazing things. Uh, well, we've flown, um, you know, celebrities in the past. And really the big thing is what kind of outreach uh, yeah, sure. can we get, right? We want to make sure that our message is getting out there. And the, big, the biggest... Um, factor is how can we bridge the gap between military and civilian because uh, there's a lot of things that you that people don't know about the military because we work on this guarded base you can't come through the gate without an id there's a lot of things that are, are happening behind a military gate uh, so it's awesome when we when we get the opportunity to have an air show on a military installation and, and bring the public in yeah. and say hey here's what's going on here uh, we're gonna we're gonna put on an air show for you, but we're also gonna have statics. We're gonna have our folks that work on base in uniform. Uh, they're gonna be out there to answer any questions you have, uh, to just kind of see how it works on the base and let you know that like, hey, we're we're, we're here. We're not doing. Uh, uh, we're not. We're here for you. We're not you know yeah. out here um, just doing secret things behind a gate, right? That's that's kind of the big the big deal. Is it? It, it is. Interesting, because I've done uh, quite a few episodes with military personnel, mostly pilots. Um, and there's, of course, a crowd of people who is generally opposed to anything military. In my listeners, some of them, of course. Um, but from some of them I hear back, so uh, th this guy, th he didn't seem like, you know, whatever, Rambo-style military person. Um, I'm sure they exist too, but uh, when, you, when you say bridging the gap, I think that's really also part of it. it it's, it's not always as it perhaps seems if you can't look behind the scenes. So I, I noticed that in my own kind of work in this, in this space. I think that most of everybody in the military is just another, another person that's trying to provide for someone, the, you know, either provide for themselves, their family yep. usually, uh, and that's, that's really it. We're just kind of regular people that go and decided that this is the job that that we're going to have hard right? to understand that you would select uh, flying yeah but uh, yeah. yeah this is some people me, yeah. do that so so when you joined the thunderbirds you came directly from the t-38 no so i was flying the f-16 okay before, you did okay before, uh, this so i i flew in uh masao air base in japan oh, yeah. beforehand and then i was in uh, at osan air base in south korea before that okay and then before that i was going through f-16 training uh, but yeah, prior prior to the F sixteen, I flew the T thirty eight and taught kids pilot training. Before. Okay, and so uh, was that primarily an air to air or air to ground role? Just curious about your flying before 
the F-16 you, flying. The F-16 flying? Yeah. Yeah, so F-16 multi-role, right? So, so we do air-to-air, air-to-ground. Yep. Um, the most recently, we I did SEED, which is Suppression of Enemy right. Air Defenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that uh, is probably one of the more fun missions that, that we get to do because you're kind of doing everything all in all in one mission. You know, Typically, you have a mission set, and you're either going out and you're, and you're doing air-to-ground or you're doing air-to-air. Yeah. Uh, but when you're doing SEED, you're, you're doing everything. You're doing air-to-air, you're doing air-to-ground. Uh, you're telling people where to go, so you're almost... You, you know, you could be doing cast at any moment, so yeah, it, right. it's a lot of it's exciting. Yeah, right. How long did you do that? Two years, then I guess probably also. Uh, I was at Misawa for three years. Okay. So I was in Japan for three years. I was in uh, South Korea for uh, eighteen months. And was was the F sixteen your your uh, airplane of choice or it was my number one choice? Yeah. Good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was a blast. Uh, Talk a bit about the safety culture in the team. Uh, so well, I mean, first and foremost, the Thunderbirds are. You know, priority is safety, right? So if there's anything that we're going into where uh, we think you know something could be an issue, and I think like a really good example of it was yesterday when you saw our one of our pilots step to the spare aircraft. What was the problem? Um, the, there was a flight control uh, uh, issue that just wasn't lining up. It was probably okay to to take, but it really he didn't feel comfortable with it. I right. said, you know what, this, it's it's best to um, leave this one on the ground. We have a perfectly capable jet sitting right over there. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason for me to even uh, try this out. Yeah. So, um, you know, all of the pilots on the team are, are highly experienced uh, fighter pilots. If they're not, you know, highly experienced F-16 pilots. And the just pilot training, pilot culture, fighter pilot culture in general, you're, you start off learning about emergency procedures. You... you learn how to handle these different stressful uh, high stress situations so uh, that you know if you're presented with something like that you can make a very well informed decision and typically we uh, side or we err on the on the side of caution we err on the side of safety and again we said before that seven no was it seven is observing the the team for in every um, show and in every training I guess and grading giving feedback I guess there is a component of being able or willing to admit mistakes to learn. I mean, this is all part of a safety culture, I guess. It's necessary to do something like that without risking. Yeah, so I think stuff. I think you're saying, yeah, Seven will be the safety observer. He'll look out for the team. He'll grade the team. But also uh, fighter pilots in general, yeah. briefing, debriefing. Really in the debrief is when you kind of... You, you sort of take the rank off, you develop thick skin, and uh, you you really what you're looking for is feedback, constructive yeah. feedback that you can use to make yourself better. Right. And so you have to be able to either fess up that you messed up uh, or made a mistake, or you have to be willing to accept the fact that someone might call you out for making a mistake, yeah. and then you have to think about it and go, okay, did I do that? How can I fix it? How can I make myself better? Yeah. How can I not do the same thing next time? Yeah. What happens to the regular, quote, flying skills, operational skills like air-to-air, air-to-ground, um, off the pilots during the season? I mean, because in, in worst case, these F-16s are repainted and they go back to regular service, and I guess mm-hmm. the pilots do too, mm-hmm. but they couldn't train their regular stuff. Uh, well, so every, every pilot on the team would go through some sort of upgrade to get their skills back. Okay. Uh, I would say the as far as flying the jet, you know, there's yeah. nobody's skills are going to diminish. No, sure. Some of the tactical yeah. pieces of that, um, it's you know, it's all in there. You learn you learned all that stuff. You learned the the basics, the uh, foundations of all of the tactics that we do. 
Uh, so it's in there somewhere. You just got to go and go and unlock <laughs> it. And maybe, it, yeah. yeah, you have to maybe get a couple of uh, sorties under your belt, fly in uh, with someone who's current in that and, and has some recent experience. And I think uh, you do a couple of those, and you're just right back into it. But during the season, or while you're at or with the Thunderbirds, you don't like take every fifth weekend off and do the regular job. Correct. No. Nope. Okay. You are yeah. 100% assigned to the Thunderbirds, yeah. and you're doing that yeah. Thunderbird mission. How do you get into the Thunderbirds? What's the precondition? How many hours do you have to be an F-16 pilot, or can you come from B-52? Right. So it de so it depends. If you're if you're trying out for one of the pilot positions, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Then um, you have to have 750 hours at least of fighter experience. Fighter experience. So and it could be you know it just A10, F15, F22. So it has to be a fighter. So that's typically like two assignments essentially mm -hmm. before you can even apply. You submit letters of recommendation. You submit a personal letter, your own resume, all of your flying records. Uh, and then uh, all of your performance reports that, that you have. And so you submit that in one package to the team. The team will will go through it and will kind of <clears throat> rank order. So it is the team and not some boss somewhere in the Correct, category. yeah, it is It is us. We, okay, we cool. get it, we look at it, um, we you know start to rank order from top to bottom, yeah. and then we'll invite uh, a select few out for a semi-finalist or finalist interview, mm -hmm. and we'll bring you out for an entire air show weekend, and we kind of show you what it's like, you know, a weekend, day in the life of, of, of what it's like to be a Thunderbird, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's two, twofold there. So we have, uh, we're interviewing you, but you're uh -huh. also interviewing us, right? right? Yeah, yeah. We, we want you to make sure that this is something you want to do. And that you fit with the team. It's it's strenuous. It's grueling. You're grinding it out. You're gone every weekend. It's very right. tough and challenging on your families, right? So yeah. it's a, it's definitely a discussion that you need to have yeah. with uh, your husband or wife if you have yeah. uh, one of those when <laughs> or <two>. when you're <laughs> when you're applying, right? So uh, it, you just need you need to be able to um, uh, understand what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. Because it, once once we hire you, like we're we're planning on keeping you, we're not trying to get rid of you. Two year commitment. Yeah, it is like a two year every, commitment uh, assignment, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, it's. I mean, I so when I joined the team, uh, it was actually the second time that I had tried out for the team. Uh, the first time, I went through the semifinals. I went through the finalist interviews, and uh, I was you know I didn't make it at that point. Um, so you know, obviously that was kind of a bummer, mm -hmm. but. Uh, It didn't deter me from trying again next year. Uh, like I said, there's going to be barriers. There's going to be people that tell you no, but you got to figure out, you know, what you did, how you can make yourself better. And I did that. I tried to control all the things that I could control so that the outside influences uh, would see that. And you know, I tried again, and I was just uh, super excited to be able to be a part of this 130-person team. Uh, everybody on here is just highly motivated, very yeah. professional. Yeah. Uh, they're just super happy to be able to represent the 660,000 airmen across the the total air force. Yeah. Um, and I can't I can't think honestly can't think of a better job than this. It's yeah, it's awesome. I, yeah. You know, I mean, sure it's grueling, but it's also I mean you represent the air force. You you do lots of cool stuff. You meet interesting people. All in all, I guess it's perhaps better than regular flying i don't know it's also fun i guess to fly an f-16 well regular I, I think role. but i mean yeah i think so i think that's what really uh you know we do a good job of of highlighting that right like that's what i think influences people to come and apply for the team because it is it's a it's it's a fun fun job yeah it's so much fun 
you get to try, recruit, retain, and inspire the next generation. Yeah. Uh, being able to reach out to the community and talk to kids and talk to, to veterans and just being able to share your experience with them, them share their experience with you, yeah. and see, you know, mainly see kids' eyes light up right. when you're talking yeah, to yes. them. <laughs> uh, there's there's no better feeling in the world. And so, yeah, you're right. It is. It's a grind. It's grueling sometimes. But at the end of the day, that is the reason we're doing this, yeah. right? Uh, like you said, anybody can fly airplanes and do loops. Um, but the the best part about it is how we interact with the community and how we can influence uh, some of the the younger folks to really um, just reach for their goals. That, yeah. That's that's the point. Hey, if you set a goal, you have a dream. Set your goals to get to that dream, yeah. and you can make it happen. I think uh, the, you know there's a lot of negativity out there of people telling you no, and I think if you talk to almost every person on their team, they probably have some sort of barrier that they had to climb over or punch through, yeah. enable in order for them to get to this point yeah. in their life. So you either have to join the Air Force to fly an F-16 or start a podcast. <laughs> I suppose that's one way to get it, yeah. <laughs> All right. I think this was a, a nice closing. Um, thank you very much. And I want to take the opportunity once again to thank you and the team for everything, right? I mean, I told you yesterday this was a really big deal for me. So I'm really glad this worked out. Absolutely. Uh, we absolutely loved having you out here. I know we... We turned dreams into realities, right? Yes. So it was great having you out here. You did yeah. a great job yesterday. Uh, I was impressed. With, with not getting sick. You, Wait, you didn't get sick. <laughs> you made it through nine Gs. We, we flew low. We flew fast. We uh, were inverted. I mean, we did everything. You even got to fly, and you did yeah, a great job. That was the highlight. Yeah. Uh, and we're sitting here talking about it today yeah. uh, because we and, – and even even the landing was – was we had a big crosswind, remember? Yeah, uh, and so we even you know had had uh, a challenging landing. Yeah. We, we I made couldn't it through, see. Right? I couldn't so. see quite from the back seat how far the nose was off, or you know, I, I couldn't quite tell um, yeah. how, how how challenging that was. Except that we had this little sink just before touchdown, where you kind of uh, throttled up a little bit. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's every every story is different. Sure. Uh, it's a challenge. But it's a lot of fun, and yeah. at the end, we're, we get to sit here and talk about it. Absolutely. And so I think overall, it was great. It was overall, it was a good experience. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much. Absolutely, thank you. So during editing and when talking to a couple of people after the flight, a few additional questions came up, and uh, I sent an email to Jason, and he he kindly replied. So I'll just give you these answers here. So first of all, we talked about recruiting and how new members apply to the team and how they are selected. And the question was, is that the same for the commander? And Jason replied that for the commander, the position is applied for in a similar way, but the applicants also are interviewed separately with the four-star general that kind of owns the Thunderbirds. Also, um, the question was, when you apply to the Thunderbirds, do you apply to a particular position or do you just say, I basically want to fly with the Thunderbirds and, you know, have you, do you have a spot for me? And with two to six and eight, uh, the applicants apply generally and then they get asked what position they want during the interview process. So it's not a specific application. And they get about 15 to 20 applicants per year, which I thought would be more. Another question was, um, and final one, uh, what happens when a pilot gets sick because there's not like they have twice as many pilots as they have airplanes. And so the question was, do, do you cancel the show or what happens? And so um, except for when number one gets sick, 
you know, they, they he leads the formation. So I guess when he gets sick, show is cancelled. Um, when somebody else gets sick, then the team just flies without them. So they can fly a five-ship show instead of a six-ship show. All right. So these were the additional questions that I that I had sent to Jason. Markus. Hi, Laura. So, you're back in Stuttgart. I'm back in Stuttgart. We're sitting on top of the Stadtbibliothek here. It's the, the public library. Exactly. It looks like a... Um, prison. Yeah, prison. Exactly. <laughs> Lots of metal around us. <laughs> But it's, it's, it was built by a star architect. So, so anyway. It must be great. <laughs> yeah. So, we are in the center of Stuttgart. The trains are passing by. Uh, and you're back? Yes, I'm back from the big event. How was it? Great. <laughs> I mean, you know, and probably many of our listeners know how how big a deal this was for me. It was a dream since I was 12. So actually, you know, we talked on the phone. I, I think I called you after your flight, a few mm -hmm. hours after your flight. And you're you're always so cool, you know. I mean, what should I should I jump up and down or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you should know that I'm not that kind of person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no. but um, I I saw your your uh, video. Yeah. And there you couldn't see any facial expressions, right? Because yeah, of the but, mask and the and yeah, the, but the visor. also you in the phone call you told me that you were screaming in the beginning of of joy, you know. But you weren't yeah. really. <laughs> no, I mean, when I when I, I remember directly after takeoff, when we had this like unrestricted climb, 60 degrees uh, up to 10,000 feet, and then when 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 he pulled over the top right to go back yeah. to level flight, you can hear me say ah something like that because I, I was enjoying the <laughs> the experience. Okay. And there's a few more places in the in the video that has yeah. those. Yeah. So what I'm really amazed about is that this dream has become true. Yeah. And uh, I think you have dreamed about it for decades. Yeah, I mean, li literally. I mean, I was, when I was a child, between, I guess, maybe eight and 15, until I started flying gliders, I mainly dealt with, um, or my interest in aviation was mainly military aviation. And I remember quite well when I was 12 years old, obviously I was in sixth grade, And I wanted to get some pictures of the F-16. Mm -hmm. And this was pre-internet, of course. So the, the world wasn't full of pictures. So mm -hmm. I decided to send a letter to General Dynamics, the manufacturer of the F-16. And uh, like, you know, I'm just like 12-year-old boy from Germany who wants pictures and stuff. Yeah. And my English teacher helped me write the letter. And they sent me pictures. Like, not printed pictures, like real photographs with signatures and stuff. You still have them? No. Why? Uh, well, I when I moved at some point, I threw out all of this crap. Huh, okay. Anyway, and so so that was basically the starting point about the F-16, and it has always been my my favorite aircraft. And so when I when I got to know one personally, as I like to say, in 2017, when I visited Nellis, Jan Stahl, the episode about the F-16, I was allowed to sit in one. That was already kind of a milestone. Yeah, yeah. And we were joking at that time that you know let's just grab a two-seater and let's go. Yeah. I can't do that, of course. And so I thought earlier this year in 2019 i sent the thunderbirds an email well it's not a story um steve tupper 
the host of the Airspeed podcast, he flew with the Thunderbirds in 2008 or 9. And that was right when we started Omega Tau. And you know that one of the reasons why we started it was, you know, let's do this until and so that I can fly with an F-16 but, as well. But did you say that from the beginning? I yeah, don't remember. I, I do. Okay. okay. It, it was. I and mean, was it just, you know, to say, okay, I'll do that forever until I die? Or was it... You mean because I didn't believe time, in it? Yeah. Of course I didn't believe it would work. Oh, this is incredible. But, but I mean, there was a little bit of hope, of course, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, so, I mean, I, I could have said, let's do this until I get to fly to the ISS. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. In any way, completely impossible, right? <laughs> yeah. Flying in an F-16 is not impossible. Yeah. It's just unlikely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's very unlikely. It's very unlikely, but yeah. well. And so this year, January 6th, I know after like the Christmas vacation, I sent an email to the Thunderbirds. Subject was like application for a media flight and to record a podcast episode. And I got a reply two days later. And it started with, uh, thank you for your interest in aviation and the Thunderbirds. Which, of course, this is how any polite yeah, no would yeah, start, yeah, right? Yeah, right? And then it continued basically saying, so to get your flight staffed and organized, can you please send us some numbers, details, you know, listener size, audience size about yeah. the podcast? And so, whoops, that, that sounds <laughs> unexpected. And so then it took a while to get this sorted out, get it approved, find the date, stuff. And so I think on April on, on April 5, I was remember I was driving back home from customer at Nunberg. Uh, they... They said, you know, please look at the schedule and tell us a date. Yeah. And so that's when it became concrete. Okay. So I think there are many people whom you would like to thank, right? There are. Um, and obviously, most importantly, it's, it's the Thunderbirds, right? So there's obviously Jason Markson, Thunderbird 8, the pilot with whom I flew. Um, so the Thunderbirds fly two non-pilots more or less every week. Mm -hmm. So these would be media people, these would be celebrities. Um, these are also mechanics and other team members who don't fly themselves. So it's in that sense, it's not that rare, yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, for I guess for a German podcaster, yeah. you know. But anyway, so so and and one of Jason's jobs is to fly these people. Yeah. Um, it's like he is looking forward to the flight. He said because that that's when he can fly. Yeah. Interestingly, he he also flies to the show, show, show location, of course. But anyway. So that was great, of course. Then um, the all-important signature from their flight surgeon, uh, Jafet Ojeda. If he wouldn't have signed the form, I wouldn't have flown. That would have been uh, because of medical reasons. Yeah, so uh, in advance, I sent them. I went to my physician and he basically did a thorough... Um, What do you, how do you say this? Thorough examination. examination exactly. A very thorough. And then basically signed something that said, I'm like, I'm generally healthy. Yeah, but then in the medical briefing before the flight, Doc of course knew the signed form, but still he he then signed a, a, an Air Force form that said this person is fit to fly. Yeah, I mean he has to check on that day whether you're fit yeah. to fly. And and he also taught us about G force and stuff like yeah. that, and so yeah. how to deal with that. And then uh, Kyle Body and Jasper Roberts, these were the two aircrew flight equipment people, those who spent I don't know maybe an hour with me and Rod, the other flyer on that day, suiting us up. Mm -hmm. adjusting the G suit and stuff like that. And then the the public relations people. I had I my my interaction started with Nat Johnston and then later it 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 transitioned to Corey Bush. These are two sergeants who who work in the media team. Their boss um Ray Joffrey is the media or the public outreach officer. I I met him when I was um 
in in Fort Wayne. I don't really know who who made the decision or whose yeah. job it was. Yeah. Whoever, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, the the rest of the team, right? It's it the, the Thunderbirds. So what they do, of course, is they they fly these spectacular shows. Yeah. But also they they demonstrate, as they say, I think the, I think they say that the pride and professionalism of the Air Force, right? Yeah. So they, they everything is very well organized yeah. and very well orchestrated. So it was a all around good experience. Yeah. I, I joked in some other place where the only thing that wasn't organized and which was refreshing somehow was how we would get from the ops building where we had all the briefings to the aircraft but they do this like every well, week it's a different air show everywhere okay. and so so we just hijacked a, a golf cart <laughs> why didn't you walk is it too far basically i think jason didn't want to <laughs> i wouldn't have cared so at this point we didn't even wear the uh the g-suit yet so we yeah. just had the relatively light flight suit so it wouldn't okay. have been a problem at all okay. anyway that was that was kind of refreshingly unorganized yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah so the whole team of course and then also the the folks from the 122nd fighter wing the the home host unit uh in fort wayne they fly um a-10s and uh aaron pence their media person okay so this was a military airbase it's, it's an international airport that has a military airbase section okay, and okay. the air show was on that military oh, okay, part and I, I entered in the morning into the military part yeah i see yeah and then of course the listeners right obviously um, yeah uh, but that didn't sound very enthusiastic no i mean i, I mean <laughs> yeah. maybe we should have said that in the beginning you know no no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean that seriously. I mean, without an audience, without people who who listen to this stuff, this wouldn't have happened, right? Yes. So that's cool. Yeah. Also, the the money, right? So to pay the trip. By the way, I'm talking about money. People have asked me how much did this cost. Yeah. And of course, I didn't pay for that, right? I paid yeah. for my trip. Yeah. But I didn't pay for the flight. You yeah. can't buy this. Um, yeah. Actually, I think that's kind of our policy, isn't it? I think we have never paid for an interview. True. The only thing I've ever paid for was the the helicopter flight, the one hour. Okay. Because you can't expect to to get that for free. It's just too expensive. Ah, well, I mean, Thunderbirds were more expensive. I think the fuel there was <laughs> yes. more expensive than the fuel for the helicopter. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, I I asked them why they why they allowed me to fly, why they selected me, right? And so basically, they said that because of access to the STEM community, science, yeah. technology, engineering, math, or is it T technology, right? Yeah. Um, and so. They, for example, a few weeks before me, they flew the Smarter Everyday guy. It's a website or YouTube channel about yeah. life hacks, everyday hacks. And so they, they try to reach out to engineer style kind of people in the widest sense. And so I think that's what kind of opened the door. And, and I think you didn't uh, have to, to like sign any preconditions for no. so. No, it's I, our norm. It's like a normal episode in the end. It is in that sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, 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 of course, they. So normally, when you fly, so what I didn't mention before, they also fly what they call local heroes. Yeah. So local hero is somebody from the community at which the air show happens usually, who has done something great. For example, the the guy, the other guy that flew in Fort Wayne, he's a police officer, and he thwarted a, a bank robbery while he was in civilian clothes. Just he was at the <laughs> bank, right? So, yeah, yeah. and so the the community, the the city or whoever nominated him yeah. to fly. And um, so usually when when these kinds of people fly, they have to bring a second person who yeah. documents things yeah as a way to you know enable outreach yeah. and so i was asking so, so do i have to bring somebody and you remember the discussion yeah, we had and yeah. said no 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 in your case you're media right we're yeah. interested in the product you create yeah. the podcast yeah so in that sense of course the deal is i give you visibility to the degree yeah. we can and 
I get the flight. So it, yeah, okay. So that's the that's, normal deal we, yeah, absolutely. we do often. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. implicitly, yeah. we always do this, right? Yeah. So... Um, uh, actually, on the day of your flight, after your flight, I think you posted the picture on Twitter or mm -hmm. something, and I read all the replies. Yeah. And this was really, how do you say in English... It touched my heart because yeah, yeah. the 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 followers on Twitter they happy, really were happy were for, happy for you yeah. and they said congratulations yeah, yeah. and this was so nice. So I think you should all also say thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the people who follow us on social media are of course the maybe the somewhat closer um, followers, yeah. uh, including those who you know on, on Patreon or something who, who give us money but th so those people know what I'm interested in yeah. where my heart is yeah. so so that's I guess why they could tell yeah. that this was a big deal for me so tell me now I think the flight was three weeks ago or something yeah Exactly three weeks ago. Yeah. So how does it feel? I, I think I don't have such a dream as you have had. And no, I don't have now one hand anymore. So the only thing that I can think of is uh, to have a dog. I always wanted to have a dog. So how does it feel? And to have a dog is something different because it's not this well, just one hour experience. No, and you just decide to have Yeah, one. you also have to to you know to work for it because you have to make your living conditions Absolutely. in a way that you can have a dog but it, and, and not, so on there's not some other third party who has to grant you right actually it's, it's my not... landlord has oh, to grant okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. so there are also okay, some restrictions yes, right. but i think it's something different it's because if you event. decide you will have that dog for yeah. i don't know 10 years or something yeah. now you had your flight for one hour yes and then it's it's over it's over so how does it feel now Yeah, so right now it still feels very present because I'm, I've edited the videos, I, I wrote something about it, I created a PowerPoint presentation because I'm going to show some things to the, some my colleagues next week. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still very present in that sense. But I, I said this before, right? It's like with some of the other achievements that I wanted to achieve in my life, like for example, the PhD. There's this like big event you, you see in front of you and, and then once you've done it, you, you put it on your shelf. And then, yeah. it's, then it's gone, and then it's done. So um, I'm sure this will happen here as well. Obviously, it has to. I mean, I, I can't revel for the next 30 years every free minute about this flight because yeah. it will. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work like this. Yeah. So are you sad? About what? That it is over. Sure. I mean, if I could do this every week, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I think you wouldn't. Ser After seriously. one year, you would say, uh -huh, seriously, I have I, to fly again. It's I, so boring. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> But seriously, I, I, I was joking about this of course but um of course when you do this for the first time you're very overwhelmed mm -hmm. so you're you're overloaded in some way yeah. with sensory input yeah. and so i missed some things i didn't much look at the instruments yeah and when i flew myself in retrospect i i should have i should have done a few other things i should have flown a bit more aggressively i, I flew yeah. the f-16 like a glider right because <laughs> of course i would right yeah and so I, I really should do this again because but, now but I know you, what's coming. You did loopings and stuff, right? Sure, but I do that with not with, with my glider, glider too, yeah. but I do that with the aerobatic glider as yeah, well. You're right. So yeah. and and so for example, I I I flew one of these in German. We say hochgezogene Fahrtkurve, um, also known as a chandelle, where you for for your English speaking listeners, it's it's very important to know this German word. It is hochgezogene Fahrtkurve. Yes, exactly. Yeah, please remember. Uh, yes, and so basically you you pull up to 30, 40 degrees and then you uh, roll to maybe 110, 120 degrees and you pull over the top and roll out 
at the bottom. You can fly this with any glider. It's not really aerobatics. I mean, technically it might be, but it's not a problem at all. But of course, with, with the, so the reason why you go only to 30, 40 degrees is because otherwise you'd run out of airspeed because you have no thrust in a glider. So if you ah, go, if like, you, I, I yeah. just wanted to say you can press the pedal well, or whatever. But, the, but that's the point. In, in the F-16, I could have gone much yeah, steeper, yeah. right? Because why wouldn't you? There is and still I, fuel. And I didn't, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. that's in, in retrospect, these were just lame. So yeah. some of the things I flew myself. So I should yeah. do this again. So <laughs> if you're an F-16 operator, call me. <laughs> yeah, but I think there are also other planes, right? Yeah, I would also fly in an F-15 yeah. or in a Eurofighter. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the F-16 was, was special, but now that I have did that, I'm open to other so, fighter jets. So I don't know if you talk in, in the episode before about that, but why is the F-16 the thing? I don't know. I mean, one... Because you found it beautiful when you were 10. Uh, yeah. So th there's this thing that you always find those things beautiful that you grew up with. Yeah. Like, the, you know, when you get to know something, be it cars or train engines yeah. or aircraft. Um, But why did you find the F-16 beautiful, so, not the F-15? Well, so at the time when I grew up, it was the kind of teen time, right? You had the 14, 15, 16, and 18. And I don't know why I always found the F-16 the most elegant. It was also the first with a fly-by-wire system. It was born in the same year as I was born. Ah, okay. Uh, mm. 1974 had its first flight. Um, Actually, had it, 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 it's zeroth flight there as well because they did a first flight before the first flight uh, without wanting to do that. Oh. Um, yeah, they, they had a, there was a malfunction or something with the flight control system and they had an oscillation and the safest thing to do was to pull it off the ground and fly a little circle and land mm -hmm. again. And because the big shots were in there, they couldn't call this the first flight, so they called it flight ah, zero. Okay. Um, so I don't know. That's just, I think it's a beautiful airplane and that's just how it went. What happened to the F-17? <laughs> <laughs> so when the F-16 was born, there was a competition between General Dynamics, F-16, or YF-16, and the in Northrop for the F-17. And one of them would win. And so the, the F-16 won, and so the F-17 didn't exist. But the Navy then decided that they would take the F-17, make it heavier, add stronger gear, because it had two engines. You know, Navy flying from the boats, they always want two engines. So they made it their choice, but because they modified it so heavily, it became the F-18. That's why the okay. 17 has no, doesn't exist. Okay, I see. Anyway, yeah. Okay, so uh, should we talk about the future? What future? <laughs> yeah, so I think we now oh, right, identified we the next Omega dream. Tau. Uh, yeah, that that was all, always what you said. Yeah. You would stop op Omega Tau, but we now have identified the next dream. So that's me having a dog. Yep. So please, listeners who live in Stuttgart and have a an apartment for rent mm -hmm. where dogs are allowed, mm -hmm. I'm the candidate. And um, then once this happens, I will do a non-stop 10-year <laughs> podcast of like me a having a dog. A microphone around the guy and then… Yeah, I mean, you flew for one hour and yeah. how long is the episode now? Two hours? Three hours something. Okay, so the podcast will be 30 years. Right, if you extrapolate that. Yeah, so that yeah. is my plan. Mm -hmm. And what about you? My next goal? Yeah. Is there a next goal for Omega Tau or are you really thinking about stopping on Omega Tau? I'm not. So this is an interesting question. So there is, I'm not, well, we talked about this before, of course, we're not going to stop Omega Tau. But over the last, let's say, five years, I really didn't invest very much into my professional career. And doing Omega Tau and this kind of journalism-y thing full-time doesn't work if I want to 
keep my kind of income in the ballpark that it is now. Yeah, and, and I I'm think too we young want to retire. To, and you're too poor to retire. Yeah, exactly. The money that I oh, have okay. isn't enough. <laughs> okay. So I can't I mean, retire. That correlates. Okay. Uh, no. and, and so, yes. And we want, I think, uh, well, at least that's my opinion. We want to remain as independent as we are. And that's also an argument against sure. making it well, but like full time. Let's say if we if we if if we did this full time, we would obviously publish a few more episodes, right? I mean, because we spend more yeah. time, so that might increase the listenership a little bit, and that might uh, increase the the donations. So yeah. it's not so you don't have to sell yourself, but you could imagine to make let's say two or three times the donation money that that we get now. That's yeah, imaginable. Then, then we could search for this landlord in Brandenburg and not yeah. in Stuttgart and then yes. maybe, yeah. Right. So, okay. but uh, that's not really realistic. Just so kidding, yeah. As a long story short, I will have to invest a little bit more again into my work. Yeah. So, I don't think I will continue to record as much as I did in the last few years. Um, so, the frequency, the episode frequency will very likely Go down to yes. two weeks or yes. something again. Yeah. yeah. So I have something very interesting scheduled for September. It's not like flying an F-16, but it's also extremely cool. So there are other interesting things to do. But um, probably the overall frequency will... Uh, unless you compensate, right? Unless you do an episode every month now. Yeah. I mean, Maybe not, also not, the not in the thing. next... Yeah. <laughs> not in the next year, but anyway. Anyway. Let's see. Let's see. Anything else you want to add? No, I th so think I thanked everybody lots I, of times. Yes, and I would like to, to say that I really envy you a little bit. I bewunder you a little bit. <laughs> I bewunder you. Because yeah. I really, I think you're, it's really deserved. You know, you have worked so much for this dream to come true. And in the end, it's it's a question of luck, probably. Yeah, so is. you sure. cannot have a guarantee I mean, for that but no, I, 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 you have fulfilled the preconditions you know I, and you really yeah. have worked for it I mean I'm, I'm pretty sure that at some point you know the Thunderbirds also have like a strategy in terms of media and social media yeah. and podcasts yeah. play a role there it's not like you know so in that sense maybe the timing was good right yeah you, you never, never know. know you yeah. never know yeah but still you fulfilled the preconditions and Certainly. most of us like normal people don't so I really admire you for that thank you All right, that's enough emotionality. Yes. So let's go back to technology <laughs> right. and well, engineering. And, and uh, I guess talk to you in two weeks or something. Oh, I, I should say that uh, there are videos and pictures if you go to omegataupodcast.net slash, slash Thunderbirds. Yeah. Um, there is Very nice else. pictures. Right. Yes. And um, yeah. Okay. So that's it. Yeah. All right. Bye. Ciao. Hello, Markus here for Omega Tau. Omega Tau is an independent and non-commercial podcast produced by Nora Ludwig and me, Markus Fötter. We are on the web at omegataupodcast.net. You can also find us on Facebook, Google+, and Twitter under the handle Omega Tau Podcast. We love to hear from you through a comment on the website, a post via our social network channels, or via an email at feedback at omegataupodcast.net. We also always appreciate recommendations of Omega Tau to your friends directly or through social media. Omega Tau is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivative License 3.0. 
This means that you can freely share the content, but you cannot use it for commercial purposes and you cannot distribute derivative works. You always have to attribute the source omegathowpodcast.net. Any quotations or citations of our work are perfectly fine, of course. For more details on the license, see creativecommons.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast and talk to you next time.